Hello, everyone. It's Dave. Real quick before I get started, I want to talk to you about uh, just one or two quick things. The first thing I want to talk about is this episode is a little different than the episodes that we've done before in that I'm on the road. I mention it at the beginning of the episode and I mention it again at the end of the episode. I took my gear on the road and was recording in places where I didn't have as much control of the sound. And you're going to hear some of that. I did what I could as we went through. But on top of that, you're dealing with a medicated Aaron Edge. And so sometimes his voice is going to go a little bit quieter. I keep trying to bring him up. There's only so much I could do to poke and prod the guy because he's literally sitting on broken back. So um, you may have to turn this one up a little bit. I'm going to do what I can on this side to make it sound good. But I just wanted to say that ahead of time. Um, I also want to say this episode is brought to you by Black Crown Car. If you're in the Seattle area and you need a ride and you're thinking of using a cab, you're thinking of using, you know, one of those ride share services or one of those other app based ride services that I'm not going to name on here because the only one I really want to say is Black Crown Car. Black Crown Car is excellent. We've had the owner on the podcast. I've worked for them. They're great. Good quality, polite, professional drivers with an excellent knowledge of the area. They'll get you where you need to go fast. They'll get you where you need to go smart. They'll get you where you need to go safely. Go to their website, blackcrowncar.com. Download the app. You call these guys with an app. That's how you hail them. Download them. Use them. Even if you haven't used these car services before. If you don't use them that often. If you've got something coming up, you need a ride to the airport, they do that. If you've got a special situation coming up where you just want to get into an event and you don't want to have to deal with parking, I mean, have you driven in Seattle lately? Have you tried to find parking downtown? It's a nightmare. I've had to go in for a number of events and I don't want to do it anymore. I don't, I've driven in this city for 20 years and it sucks. But if you can get in a car and go, that makes things a little bit easier. It could just be one thing. You just get it off your plate. And if you're going to do that, go with Black Crown Car. All right, let's get into the episode. Here we go. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to I've Known You Too Long. This is a uh, special episode. I know I, I say they're all special episodes, but this one is special. It's different because it's my first road episode. I've actually traveled to do this one. I'm not in the normal in the normal spot in the closet with all the junk that you can see in the photos. Um, I've come to Portland to interview a friend. It's going to sound a little different. The room tone here is different, and there's some noises we can't get rid of probably. But you know what? It's going to work out. I think it's going to sound good. The person who I am interviewing today is someone I've known for a good long time. He has been in a ton of bands. He was a founding member of HIMSA. He was an early member of Harkonnen, and he sang on the record that I put out on Excursion. He did the Genuine Project, where he would play all the music, and he'd do a lot of the vocals, and he'd have some of us come in and do vocals. I put out a Genuine Record also on Excursion, and tons of other. I'm going to try to list them off right now. We'll get to all that. Um, my guest today is Aaron Edge. Hello, Aaron. Hello. Hi. Aaron, I'm not going to say how you doing, because we've been talking about how you're doing. And we're going to take a quick little break from how we normally start this podcast and I'm going to give everybody a bit of an update and allow Aaron to give a little bit of an update about what's going on with him. Aaron was recently in a pretty horrible bike accident. And as I look at him now, he is sitting in a wheelchair in a back brace because he broke his back. Is that correct? That is correct. What happened to you? The first vacation I took of the year, I went down to California to ride bikes. 
and the first day was wonderful on road bikes. The second day, I was on a mountain bike having a blast in a redwood forest, and somehow I fell off. I have no idea what happened. Woke up uh, with no breath and knew that there was a bunch of pain in my back, and a couple people that I was riding with uh, held me down and decided, you need to stay where you're at. You're hurt pretty bad, or you could be. I waited for an ambulance of sorts to arrive on a trail, real bumpy. They took me to a helipad? Helipad. Okay, I don't know. To a helipad. <laughs> I think and, you said it right, helipad. And helipad. a helicopter took me to a local San Jose hospital where I was tested, prodded by so many people, like eight. It was incredible. I was given tons of morphine once they realized that uh, I was in a lot of pain. And uh, after a CAT scan and a couple different x-rays, it was determined that I had fractured my T6 vertebrae, which is somewhere in the middle of your back, just below your shoulder blades or my shoulder blades or everyone's shoulder blades. And uh, then I was given more morphine. They put me in a small room by myself for a couple hours. And the doctor came in and told me the news about the, the uh, vertebrae break. What And it seemed like he was had too many other things on his mind. So he was really curt and short with me. And it was a problem. Now, while he was telling you this, were you able to move... No, I was still I was still strapped down to a board. But you could, in a bed. could you wiggle your toes? I mean, did you know that you weren't paralyzed? Yes, and that was okay. wonderful. Um, because I have MS, and the MS is most painful in my hands and sometimes feet. Oh yeah, that's another thing. That's another thing. Yeah. So <laughs> that's two. At first, it was tough to tell <laughs> whether the the worst pain at the time because I was stressed out, and stress makes. MS nerve pain worse. I couldn't tell in the hospital whether that was related to the to a possible n- new nerve damage in my spine or not. Mm. And they weren't sure either. Until uh, a couple hours went by, my stress reduced and I and I could, you know, move my my toes and and fingers just fine. Um the doctor came in, told me the news super fast, told me, "Hey, you'll be in a brace for 3 to 6 months and um someone will come in and put the brace on you." Okay, bye. And left. I was in a room the size of a closet, and the bed was so precariously placed in there that everything connected to my body was crossing over my face and my neck. Miserable. So uncomfortable. Still on the board. Finally, I buzzed for the nurse to come in. A head nurse came in. She was wonderful for the rest of the couple hours I was there. She re-plugged everything in cursing the whoever what other medical bot had done this to me and explained exactly which vertebrae what was going on and that um, there was still a chance for paralysis if the fractured vertebrae was crushed further or if it was being crushed further as we spoke and so there still is that chance uh so i needed to take care of myself for a while until we could see how the fracture healed Right, that's the ultimate take it easy. Correct, which if anyone listening knows me, I have never been a take it easy guy. Right. All or nothing, all the time. Hate that, love this. No, Yep. nothing in between. So taking it easy is very difficult. Some forced perspective for you, my friend. Yeah, it's lame. 
so at this point, I see my doctor, my current Portland doctor on Friday. He's my neurologist. And because this is nerve related. Wait, you, how do you, okay. How do you get back? How did I get back from California? Yeah. I was slated to take a plane the next day back, but I couldn't. So I got a hotel room for an extra night, uh, provided actually by a friend that I met there who is sort of running this workshop. His name is Seth and he's a wonderful. The workshop that you went down for. Correct. To write, to test bikes. Yep. Right. He was wonderful. Uh, he brought me to my hotel room and he got me a extra night in the hotel, which is fantastic. Uh, in fact, he also made sure that I had a wheelchair. Uh, I won't say how. Yes, I will. He stole it. He stole the wheelchair from the hospital, put me and it in a van, and brought me back uh, to my hotel. The following night... So they were going to let you walk with the brace? No. No walking. Um, so how were you supposed to get anywhere? I was supposed to just get up for a very short four-feet uh, increments. Okay. Like, get to the restroom get to the shower, have someone take off my brace and my clothes. I get into the shower. You did have the brace at the time. Correct. Yep. Right. Yeah. Right off the bat, they put the brace on me at the hospital as soon as they knew what's going on. Um, and, uh, then I get back to the hotel. I'm in the brace with the wheelchair and this person, Seth, it's, it's worth noting this person, Seth also the next day brought his daughter who was like waist high, tiny eight or something, maybe younger, probably younger, uh, made pad thai for me at home and brought it to my hotel. Oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So the first, the first real, like really nice thing that had happened since I've been there, catch a plane back. They have to load me on the, on the plane. That's what I wanted to know. How do you yeah. fly back with that injury? So I get, I, I get wheeled out to the plane that's on the tarmac. It's a smaller plane. A prop planes come only from San Jose back to Portland. Right. Anytime you get to say tarmac too, it's kind of awesome. I like the word tarmac. So... I'm out on the tarmac and they make everybody wait. Everybody else has to wait in line outside. Granted, it's beautiful out San Jose, so no one's complaining. And they put up a special ramp up to the door of the of the plane, this two-prop plane. They put me in a different chair altogether that is sort of on this conveyor belt sort of deal. Uh, it's very, very narrow and I get brought all the way up and then once there... They, it has wheels, this little, this little device. They wheel me to my spot and I just slide over to my spot. Then they bring that thing out, they remove the ramp and everybody else comes on board. Probably all the while saying, why is that guy here first? How did he even No, uh, they probably are pretty happy that they're not in your position. Everyone is, except people who are in a worse position. Right. They want to be in my position. Yes. There's a hierarchy of suck. There's a hierarchy of terrible... Um, so my stolen wheelchair gets put in with the baggage. It has a big ER, um, spray painted on the back or however they did it. I had to put a backpack over it to just thwart any, uh, Ooh, and that's stolen any, property any across suspicion. state lines, isn't it? Yeah. And I haven't stolen anything since I was like 14, <laughs> a lacrosse ball. So, right. um, I get on the plane. It's bumpy ride. It's terrible. It sucks. It hurts the whole way. Uh, I'm on pain meds at that point, but still, it's like the pain, you know, is bad. I get off the plane the same way. Everybody gets off first, which is nice. And uh, I get into a wheelchair, and I get pushed all the way to uh, my baggage, pick it up, and a friend picks me up, and I'm I'm, all, I'm back to my home. Okay, that's 
and and here you sit now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna note. As long as I've known you, you've been straight edge. You still are straight edge. Indeed. Your last name is Edge. Indeed. And it, you weren't born with the last name Edge. You legally changed your name to Edge. Indeed, I did. That's how straight edge you are. That and is. if anybody doesn't know who this guy is that I'm talking to, if you've seen my movie, The Edge of Quarrel, we've talked about this on the podcast a lot. Um, it's available in the store. People have seen it before. There's a guy on the cover with X's on his hands. You can't see his face, but you can see all his tattoos. That's Aaron Edge. That's the guy I'm talking to right now. So... I'm looking at a bottle of medication that you have that is partly responsible for making your voice the way it is, and it's going to be a little quiet. People may need to turn this one up to hear, Aaron. It's smoothing me out. It's smoothing you out, but that's what, what did you say that was, hydrocodone? Hydrocodone is the current pain med. Right. So this is, this is I mean, any amount of high or medicated would be the most high I've ever seen you, but this is way beyond actually what I expected. Yeah, this is more high than than when you have a cold and you might take NyQuil or something like this is. But when I l- walked in and saw your face, I knew that you were both medicated and in extreme pain. Both. It's 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 on it's chiseled on your face like so. There's no, yeah. This isn't some like nyan nyan making fun of you. Haha, you're accidentally not straight edge. It's a, you. That's the medicine you need right now, and I I get it. Yep, and and in the morning and uh, late at night. When I have been off the meds for a while, I wince and tear up when I get up in the morning. It's, it's like I want to call the ER again. If I didn't know what was wrong with me, I would call. Right. The, the pain is that incredible. And so then I take pills and just sit up for about a half hour till they take effect. And then I can get into the wheelchair and uh, go about my busy day of sitting and not doing much. Which is thinking, terrible. gaining perspective, just getting fat. That's what's happening. <laughs> you getting fat. You're, you're not fat at all. I will be. You watch. Okay, cool. I'm excited for it. Yeah. Um, that just means you'll just have new goals. You just have to run off the fat. You'll love it. I'll just stop eating. It's cool. Okay. Whatever. Coffee way, and drugs. Whatever speed you balls. want. That's not straight edge. That's not straight edge. In fact, true. if you take one pill past the uh, the time frame that you have the been allotted, prescribed for, yeah, the you're not straight amount. edge. No, it's, it's true. Yeah. It's true. I'll be so, careful. So that's that's getting everybody up to speed, but that's not how we normally start the show. So now I'm going to start the show the way we start the show. Okay. Aaron, I've known you too long. You have known me a long time. Yes. In um, fact, I'm pretty sure I remember if it's time to say so. It's going to be. As Lex, now Lex corrected me pretty hardcore on this, um, but and other people have as well. But uh, it's it, obviously I haven't known you too long, but I've known you so so long that I can't remember the exact day that we met. I'm pretty sure I can. Okay, I have a vague memory. I'd like to hear if if this sharpens it for me. So, the day that Princess Die died in the crash, I believe it was September 1st of 1997. We can Google it and and figure it out, okay. but. I'm pretty sure I moved from Philadelphia to Seattle that day. Now, Lex Spar and her mother were nice enough to put me up in their home in Kirkland until I got in Kirkland, Washington. How did they know you? uh, I knew Lex from when she had toured with bands and come through Philadelphia. Yep. Okay. I can't recall the year that that was. I'm guessing that that was probably 94-ish, perhaps. Uh, Okay. She would know. She, I think she actually talks a little bit about it in her episode. Yeah, I met her, and um, we stayed in touch at that point with uh, a couple letters here and there. And then we sort of, I, I, as I recall, there was a, enough time between letters that when I called her, we were both surprised to talk to each other. I said, hey, uh, Philadelphia's not doing it for me anymore, and all my friends 
you know, including like Dan Eamon and uh, Dave Wagenschutz and everybody I knew from Philadelphia who had toured around um, and gone through Seattle, Washington were like, this is the place to be. My bands at that point up to 96 and 7 had only, had never toured the whole United States. Uh, the East Coast a million times and the Midwest, but never, never um, the West Coast. Though I grew up in California as a child. We'll get to that. Oh, I was trying to wait for the siren. Oh, there's a siren. There's a siren. Um, so this is actually going to happen. This is going to be our background noise. So we'll just, if I cut too much of that, it's going to sound. I live jumpy. in the city. That's you the live in the city. That's, we're on the road, man. Yeah. This is a road episode. And aren't you sponsored by Red Bull and uh, Monster or something like that? I am sponsored MTV? by Black Crown. Uh, if you're in Seattle and you need a ride, call Black Crown. So well, do. actually, you don't call them. You use the app. You download the app from their website. Um, sidebar, when Soto needed a logo for his company, I did his logo. Fantastic. And that rules that he still, as I recall, as much as I know, he's still using that logo, which is really cool, like a, a version of it. But either way, people should use the app and uh, use the company because it's fantastic. Um, if I lived in Seattle, that is how I would get around. And I did when I, when I lived there. All right. I haven't, driven, I haven't had a car. Uh, in fact, I haven't had a driver's license since 2002, I believe. It expired, and then I was just like, And that was ah, just it? Yeah, fuck it. Oh, well, are we allowed to curse? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Oh, fuck yeah. To get back to Lex. People said Seattle's the place to be. Your band's yeah, had the tour here. Yeah. All right. and, and actually, so when Lifetime was sort of coming to a close, or perhaps already did, there was a new band forming, and this is important to Seattle reference. There was a new band forming with Yemen and Wagon Shoots and a bass player that I can't recall his name. He wasn't a guy I knew very well in Philadelphia. Um, and they were looking for a singer. And I instantly wanted to be the singer. And Dave and I had had some talks, and he said, I just don't think you're the guy. Your voice is too harsh. And I said, well, what's this band going to be like? And he's like, why don't you come to practice? Come hang out with us. And I did. I remember sitting in this room watching two of my favorite musicians and this other guy who was great play this new music and it was like seven songs in seven minutes and it was fantastic it was as poppy as i like a band to be and not more and i don't like poppy bands okay except for jawbreaker so they're playing and my mind is blown and i'm still like please let me try out for this band and and they, they were like no um a week later john pettibone comes out to try out for the band and he did, and he didn't get picked for it. They're all they're all bros, but he wasn't the voice for it either. He goes back home, and while he was in town, he was telling me how awesome Seattle is and the West Coast in general. So it affirmed that I, you know, it, or confirmed that I was gonna, I was gonna go. Um, that band ended up being uh, Kid Dynamite, of course, mm-hmm. and they got a perfect singer for the band. Yeah, he it def- definitely. Yeah, he he ruled it, um, and. Though his voice is so no effectsy whiny, kind of, it it worked for that style of music. Anyway, I don't usually go for that type of thing, but that band shredded, and I was so stoked. Definitely would have been the exception for you. Definitely the exception for me. Um, so and you would, I know you. You would have like hit the voice lessons or something. You would have done, done some kind of vocal transformation. Nope. You don't think so, huh? No, I I couldn't have done what that guy does. There's Absolutely. Oh, no, it wouldn't sound just like him, but there would have been some, you would have made, I think you would have tried to fit the music. Totally, and I would have had a blast doing it, but I would have ruined it. Like, they they did it right. 
so but you connected with Pettibone there. I connected with Pettibone there. And I also um, decided and sort of woke up one day uh, not wanting to be part of the Christ- uh, Hare Krishna movement, which I had a, been a part of for nine and a half years. Yeah, we're going to get to that in the past. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So I, I never knew you as a Krishna. Right. But I knew you as a very recent ex-Krishna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so I had decided that I didn't ever hate Krishna culture, but that I didn't believe in God. I, I woke up one day and was like, I just don't believe and I had always I think I'd always wanted to and so uh and when I did I got a little preachy and that was kind of lame and um but then as I got older I decided I love the culture but it's not for me plus being vegan uh doesn't really tie in so much with the Hare Krishna movement as because of them using milk and ghee and cheese and stuff and and that wasn't my bag of tricks uh anyway I moved to Kirkland I got off the plane Lex and I are stoked to see each other, and her mom is fantastic. I'd never met her. She's probably to this day still one of the most warm, big-hearted people ever. Uh, both of them are. Um, but to get back to the day that I believe I met you, that was September 1st. There was a Halloween show in Seattle where everyone, and I mean like just about everyone dressed up, trial played all as women. And Left With Nothing played as ACDC. Yes, they fucking did. And Neil was there as a Hershey Kiss. Yes, he was. And that I was, met you at that show. That was the first show that I went to in Seattle. I was dressed as a fat guy. I had... Merce was there as a murder Santa. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that show... It was small enough, the room that I came everybody home from would, that like, show and raved to my client about it. Yeah. Like this was you you should have seen. Everyone was went the, that's the most all out for Halloween my friends have ever done. Ever. Like there have been some good ones, but that was that was unreal. Yeah, I know. That was awesome. That was that was fantastic. That's where I met everybody. Um We I met actually, at that show? We met at that show. Lex introduced us. She did. And Lex introduced me. The first person Lex introduced me in September of that year, 97, was Greg Bennick on the dock of, I'm trying to remember the waterfront. Um, at any rate, after getting food somewhere, Lex said, oh, some folks are hanging out down by the water and we'll go hang out. And I remember there was this long dock and she introduced me to Greg. In Kirkland was, or in Seattle? In Seattle. Okay. And... I remember being at the the edge of the water, not on the dock, but the edge of the water and just like dangling her feet, hanging out. And then she said, oh, you need to meet, meet my friend Greg. Um, he sings in that band that uh, or that band trial. And, and I, you know, everyone knew that the show was going to happen. And I was like, oh, great. I'm excited to hear your band. You know, I had actually never heard of trial on, on my coast. And I don't believe that they had actually toured out on these coasts yet in 97. I, I could be wrong, but I, I don't think they had. Um, I was introduced to Greg and probably Lex remembers it as me kind of like pushing Lex out of the way into the water onto the grass to get to Greg and really like get to know him because we instantly clicked. And, uh, I apologize to Lex if basically as soon as I met Greg, I, all my attention was on Greg. We really, we really bonded. Um, and, uh, yeah, then later there was issues with his band trial i actually tried out as their drummer first uh and this was right away like 
Motor was not going to be able to tour, or he was considering maybe leaving at the time. Right, Motor being the drummer, the drummer at the time. And, yep, and, yep, and Michael. Uh, so, not so secretly. Uh, it wasn't so much a secret that I was going to try out because Motor was thinking of leaving, but I tried out as Charles Drummer like right away after after Halloween show. Um, Tim and Greg and I hung out a lot, and I, I just met um, some of the other guys uh, at the time. I can't even remember who was playing bass. Derek, wasn't it? Was he? He always was, huh? Derek Harn. Yeah, yeah. And Spicoli was yeah. uh, playing yeah. second guitar. So uh, I tried out as a drummer, and though I can play fast, I can't play fast. Even you know, ever could I play fast for a whole set? Right. Particularly a longer set, not just like one minute songs. If it was all in fest stuff, it would have worked out. But trial had changes, and they played a little longer, so keeping a, a faster pace was difficult. So we were all pretty bummed that it didn't work out because we all liked each other and um, from from the start. And so instead of being their drummer, I just I worked myself in to be their permanent roadie, which is why I have a trial tattoo because we totally got along and uh, had the most fun um, for a little while, for a year or two or or so. You're taking a picture of my trial tattoo. Yep, I got a photo of it because, you know, we put pictures up in the uh, blog page on yep. nobody'snose.com for these. Yeah. So some of the times people can see stuff that we're talking about. That was and other sh- embarrassing pictures that I've collected of everyone over the years. That's a problem. No, it's awesome. Okay. So that was the show I first met you. Halloween. Okay, that's good. No, and, and now that you say it, I remember that being um, one of those influential nights. And it's, uh-huh. it's stuck, it has stuck in my memory. Um, and I, I remember Lex Barr's house. I remember her kitchen more than any other part of the house because in September, I got a call from Gavin from Burn to tell me that, hey, rabies died. Oh. And I was pretty bummed out. I'd gone to see that band a lot of times. Warzone. Uh, yes. Yeah. And the reason I knew Gavin was because he helped produce one of the Christ records, a band that I was in in Philadelphia. Right. But anyway, that that, that is how I knew Gavin. And so when he called me, like I, I felt privileged to hear from him that, that something serious like that had happened. And I, that was one of the first hardcore legends that I remember dying and having an effect on me. Right, because you, you had an actual personal connection to him. You'd been there where he was. I'd been there where he was, yeah. and I had watched him perform, and I had met him, yeah. and though we weren't friends, and you know he wasn't even a peer, of course. He was on a totally different level. Sure. Hey, it's Dave. I'm breaking in. I just wanted to take a quick second here to say, if you've been listening to this, you have just heard the story of what happened to Aaron, how he got injured, and basically, you can probably hear in his voice, if you've known Aaron, I'm sure you can hear in his voice, he's in a lot of pain. He's been through a lot, and he's got a lot more to go through. Some people at his work have set up a GoFundMe account, which is where you can donate to someone. Um, it's The URL is very long, but if you go to GoFundMe.com, G-O-F-U-N-D-M-E.com, and search Aaron Edges Recovery Fund, you'll find it. Or if you follow me on Facebook, I linked it the other day. Go there if you feel like sending Aaron some money to help him out. I mean, he's got insurance that's going to cover some of this, but they don't know yet what the costs are going to be for the airlifting situation he was in. And the guy's going to be sitting around in a wheelchair in his house for two or three months. Every single thing you do in a day 
that you just take for granted is hard for him right now and he can't work and that costs money. It costs money to just sit around and not do anything. So people are raising a little bit of money to help him out during that time, coming to the aid of a friend when they need it. So that's one way you can help him out. And if you feel like doing that, that's awesome. I am putting together a special edition of The Edge of Quarrel, the movie that I made that Aaron is on the cover of. That's him. Those are his tattoos with the X's on his hands on the cover of The Edge of Quarrel. Well, I have some DVDs left. And when I was down there, I took a photo of Aaron, tried to get him as close to the same clothing as he had originally for that photo like 15, 16 years ago. We took a photo of him in his brace and we've made a new cover. It's the limited edition crippled copy. Made 43 copies of it. There's going to be 43 numbered copies of The Edge of Quarrel with this new cover. It's exact in every way other than the cover to the old Edge of Quarrel DVD. The difference is I'm giving all the money that I make on these DVDs to Aaron. We made 43 copies. I'm selling them for $25 a piece plus shipping. When those go out, when those are sold, they won't be any more. In fact, if you're listening to this much after it's initially released, they may not even be available. Check the site, checknobodyknows.com. They'll be in the store. They'll be on the blog page for Aaron's episode, but most likely they're gone already. Um, so if I sell these, I can give Aaron $1,000 towards his recovery. And so that's what I'm doing. That's my contribution to it. And if that sounds like a fun way for you to help Aaron out, then by all means, jump in, get a copy. It's a, you know, it's funny. And that's my best way of dealing with situations like this is humor. And if you think that's in bad taste and you shouldn't make fun of stuff like this and it's just bad to use the word cripple and, you know, that I'm, I'm pressuring my friend to go along with this because he's in a sad state and he needs the money. Well, I understand. I think that you should just go right to his GoFundMe account and donate some money to him because... Um, he has to put up with having friends like me and that's awful. So one way or another, uh, whether you get on board with my thing or whether you just get on board with his thing, help Aaron out. All right, let's get back to the episode. That is it then. That's when you come to Seattle, we meet at that show. That's perfect. I, it's, I, I, I wish I could say, I think at the time, you know, you get introduced to a lot of people at shows. Lex has introduced me to a lot of people over the years, but, um, it would have been shortly after that I was like, Oh yeah, I know you. Like, yeah, we're right. You're here, and we're right. doing stuff. So it was you were you just became ever present, and and right away got into Harkonnen. So then yep. I was meeting everybody in bands, and I was uh, at the Velvet Elvis all the time, and so we were all at the same shows, performing together, watching each other's bands, buying each other's records. Uh, you were putting out records that I was part of, mm-hmm. and um, okay, we're gonna yeah, we're gonna go back first. Okay. All right. You mentioned Krishna. You mentioned Philadelphia. You uh-huh. mentioned being a little kid in California. I'm going to go all the way back. Who okay. are you and where did you come from? So I was born on July 9th of 1973 in Jacksonville, Florida, to a uh, young married couple, Navy family. My mother was a flight attendant and my dad was a fighter pilot in the Navy. Uh, soon after Florida, he got moved to uh, Texas for a year or two. And then to, we, we all did. And then we went to California, Lamore, California specifically, because it was right outside of Miramar where Top Gun is, where my dad taught, which is pretty cool. Oh, he was the instructor in Top Gun. One of them. So when the movie came out, we're watching the theater mm-hmm. and he's like, that's not right. That oh, didn't happen. Oh, it's like a cop watching a cop. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I know that guy. I know that guy. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Pretty, no, that's, that's pretty cool. Pretty rad. That might be enough to undo the, that's not right part of the movie yeah i mean 
pretty pretty awesome and clearly as a child watching a movie that my dad was in was like or not that he was in but he was associated with was huge now michael ann if she's listening to this episode is screaming right now that i'm supposed to mention that i didn't even see top gun until i was in my mid-30s oh i thought she was going to mention how much she liked the man in uniform no and made you wear uniforms what you made me wear uniforms because she likes uniforms Oh, that she makes me wear Got uniforms. It. I thought you said I made you wear uniforms. And now I was trying to remember if there was some weird thing where you made me wear uniforms. There might have been. <laughs> I can't put much past you. Um, so, so don't California. laugh too much. It hurts. Yeah, yeah. I can't laugh too much. Um, California. So California, we lived in. Um, we camped all the time. We were in the Redwoods all the time. That's like my playground. Um, I grew up in a, traveling around in my fo- my folks' uh, VW bus i remember it very clearly it was blue and uh it had the little fridge and the stove in there and um we would go camping as a family all the time and had the had the best time my father was on tour a lot so i didn't see him very much and when he came home it was the start of our uh budding heads Hmm. um so uh my mom raised my sister and i my sister is three years older than me and my sister never did anything wrong and i did i was bad and when my dad would come home, I wouldn't respect him. And I would say, you know, in my mind, who well, are you? how old are you at this point? Uh, so I lived in California till sixth grade. Till sixth grade. Correct. Now, tell me what it was like being you as a little kid in grade school. I skateboarded. I rode BMX bikes. My friends and I were into. Okay. Min- you, you min- skateboarded in the uh, late 70s. Very late. Because if you're in grade school, it's a very late yep. 70s, but that's banana yep. board time. That's banana board time. So when you say you skateboarded, I, you skateboarded in the same way that I can say I skateboarded at the same time. It's not like mid-80s, awesome Tony Hawk board N- skateboarding. Not quite. Not yet. No, okay. this is banana boards, knee pads. Because um. the transition to real skateboarding is actually a big thing. So it's uh, if you're one of the, the strange people who actually made the jump from banana board to skateboard skateboard, that's that's interesting to me. Right. The only trick I did was um, hand plants. That's the only trick I could do. Hand plants on a banana board? Well, yeah, you'd get up close to the curb and you'd hand plant with the banana board. It's impressive. It's all we knew. It's all we had. I didn't know that I knew how to do that. Otherwise, we were just carving. Yeah, you know, yeah. Or on tic, the, on the wide streets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Big soft wheels. It was so good. <laughs> and I never did roller skates. I just. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I lacked the coordination for that. But skateboarding, you know, you fall down a lot, but it's still awesome. Sure, and BMX biking. And the BMX bikes, because my friends and I would ride bikes, shoot BBs at each other in the woods. And From the bikes? Yeah. Okay, we're getting into where I want to be. but um. So it was gummo. What I need to know. It was gummo, but no cats were harmed, and and sleep <laughs> it was, it was wasn't a band yet. the movie Gummo by Harmony Corinne. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I'm sure everyone's seen it. But we, but we weren't white trash. We were all sort of like wealthier kids in a nice California suburb. Okay. I want to know what kind of bike. I had a Haro. You had got a, a real BMX bike. Yeah. I How old a, were you? I had a Redline. Um, I had a Diamondback. So yeah, so when you went and saw E.T. in the theater. Yeah. And Star You were Wars. like, well, he's got a cool Haro, but my bike's like basically as good. I, I didn't know what was better and what was worse then. I didn't. I really didn't. It was See, like, I was like. All I bikes could, were cool. I, like I just had a Huffy. Like a, the, I could not. There was no way I was getting a real bike. Yeah. So it was like I was jealous of any kid that had a red line or yeah, a diamondback or anything. I'll be honest. You know? I I was uh my parents have always been generous with 
not so much what's in and what's cool, but like making sure that my sister and I had adequate sporting equipment. Well, and it there is a difference. You need the good gear. It was more, it was more, I think my parents realized the value of a nicer thing. And so I didn't have the, the only crappy thing I ever had, which probably wasn't, well, definitely wasn't crappy at the time to me because I was a child was I had a Nash board, you know, uh, that, and that's awful with gorilla rails. Awful. And, but, but it worked. And it was like the it, first fat board I had and it was It worked, awesome. but the, your second board wasn't a Nash. No, it wasn't. And here's the thing. You're lucky that you're one of the people that actually was able to move from Nash to a real skateboard. Yeah. Because the Nash should have killed you. Yeah. It should have been done. You, yeah. But skateboarding I, sucks. But I've always also been the kid who was behind the really, really good stuff and the really the times. And I was late to everything, including being an adult. Um, sure. I've always been one step behind everybody. So That's I was not so bad. You I was learning from of the my mis- friends. You see the mistakes they make too. Yeah. You're late to the party, but you maybe don't go to the ones that are getting busted. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you said that you guys, um, that you guys would ride these BMX bikes around the woods and shoot BB guns at each other. Yep. Daisy Red Rider one cock or pump up uh, and could be pellet or BB. I BB had guns. friends with pellet guns. I had a BB gun. You had the, you had the click click. Yep. Punk rifles. So really, us. unless you hit the eye. You're not doing any we real wore, damage. We wore goggles. We knew correct. We knew to wear goggles, or else moms wouldn't let us leave the house with a BB gun. Was there a rule? Three pumps in the in the other in the good guns? I don't think there was rules. I think it was just kill everyone. You're lucky. Yeah, I made it. Yeah, <laughs> did, did anyone, oh yeah, I made it. This anybody far. go to the hospital? Oh, all the time. In fact, <laughs> I remember. So so we we did BB guns and BMX bikes, and then David Allen moved next to me. His family was Thai. And, um, I would go over there and watch horror movies cause they would show horror movies. They all would watch them and stuff I wasn't allowed to watch mm-hmm. really gnarly, bad horror movies, bad as in like no child should see what is happening. What's one you can remember that, that... cannibal Holocaust. I watched, Oh, I never saw cannibal Holocaust back then before I was sixth grade. If you can imagine. So cannibal Holocaust is real shit. They, it's terrible. They cut the flippers off of a tortoise on film it's brutal it's terrible there's rape scenes there's like you should not have seen that no i mean i shouldn't have seen that now okay, can you can you ease up just a little bit was there any like just freddie and jason type horror film that you no, saw did no. you at least see sleepaway camp or something because that can that well can, see that can fuck a person up so my mom and i and my sister mostly my mom and i would watch creature feature yeah and that was every friday or saturday night possibly both i can't recall we would watch horror movies all the time. My mom and I, we really loved them. But we didn't watch any of the really gnarly ones because really they didn't exist or they were so culty, we didn't know about them. Right. But David Allen, he knew about them. Okay. And so he, I would go over there. I, rem- I remember sitting on their couch watching them eat uh, what I would consider not good food. Like some of the Thai food got pretty like, like, like eating some of the bones of some fish, stuff like that. Like I remember watching. You this, mean they they ate such exotic food that, is, that it seemed like they were eating fish bones to you? Exactly. Okay. I was a child, so okay. like I was a little freaked out. So yep. I would eat at home. Mm-hmm. I would go over to the Allen's house mm-hmm. and I would party. I would like watch these movies. And um, David Allen introduced me to ninjutsu like, <laughs> for real. Uh, he took ninjutsu training. He did. No shit. He and how in, old was he? He was in high school. Oh, how old were you? I wasn't. I was before junior six, high, sixth grade. 
Yeah. Hanging out with a high school kid, watching Carnival well, Holocaust and learning ninjutsu. His friends were all studying or okay. playing other sports. Yeah. So we were all the kids that would follow him around. Sure. No, it makes it was sense. the Rat Pack. And yeah. he would teach us like moves and stuff. So we all got into ninjutsu and there was magazines. And you'd buy the magazines. Yeah. And then you would order things from the from the magazines. <laughs> I used to I used to circle the stuff that I wanted in like karate or ninja. Oh, we would buy them. You got the claws it, on the gloves and the, the little the axe. We had ninja stars and we throw them at each other. Oh no no no! I I did get a ninja star and I carried it in my back pocket in case I needed to use it. Because you never know. Because you never know. I did practice throwing it at a fence. I love your story, but we got really deep and dark. <laughs> So what we would do is what we would buy from the fish supply store was this tubing that was was very was pretty straight until it got really long and then it was sort of malleable. And you would cut a Q-tip in half and put a needle in each part of the Q-tip, thus making a blowgun. And we would shoot each other anywhere on the body with these blowguns and we all got really fucked up. It was bad. It was I, bad my, my, my older brother shot me with more than one homemade blowgun as a child. So I, I feel your pain. Shit hurts. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes, it does. But what we also bought from the ninjutsu magazines and I, they were probably called like, you know, modern ninja or something. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while I'd have Chuck Norris on the cover. Nope. He wasn't a nin- ninja. He Didn't was, they, they wouldn't just have him like as a guest. Nah, no, he, he was karate and, um, as as I recall, he was karate and um, whatever I can't remember what's the throwing around no, judo 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 karate and judo he, yeah Chuck Norris was karate boxing and judo he was not he was not a ninja so Chuck Norris so those discipline like those magazines they had no no use for him no, there was no like well and and okay so in to be fair every ninja on the cover was in a ninja suit so <laughs> okay Chuck Norris you could have been there. <laughs> And I apologize now. now we don't that need. I we we don't need to apologize to Chuck Norris. He doesn't care, too. No, he probably owes some apologies he himself. Care. He doesn't care. So, um, all my friends bought black ninja suits from these magazines, and when it came time for me to 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 talk to my parents about buying one, my mom, because my dad wasn't around as a kid, really, she said, "You know, why don't you just let me make you one?" And the first thought was no, and the second thought was. Of course, because my mom was was a seamstress as well. And I mean, she bought the patterns from the store and would make her own clothes and yeah. her own clothes sometimes. Right. And she was really good at it. And I mean, really good at it. So the, my first thought, no, ended quickly because I knew she could do it right. Yeah. I also knew that she could do something maybe extra. Like hidden pockets. Right. So <laughs> I was all about it. My mom worked on the suit. Um, and I didn't want to see it till it was done. And, and still to this day, I'm kind of that guy that I don't want to talk about it till it's done. I don't want to hear about the movie until I see it. Hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to hear how great this band is until I go see him or hear it. Um, I didn't want to check in on the ninja suit till it was finished. And I waited patiently for the ninja suit while my other friends were ordering theirs. Finally, my mom brought in the suit and it appeared to be maybe like the outside of it or a part of it or perhaps turned out inside out, I saw white material. I thought, why Why would this happen? What is, did she make a cape? Ninjas don't wear capes. And she was like maybe like taking her own um, spin on it. Yeah. Once unfolded, sadly the whole suit was white. She made you a white ninja suit. 
Because ninjas need to hide in snow in California, in the suburbs. But you didn't realize that she made you Storm Shadow. I did know about G.I. Joe, so she made me... There might not have there may not have been a storm shadow. Maybe not at that time. Maybe not at that time. <laughs> but what happened was then wow. I got my I got my fucking ass whooped every night. So you still wore it? Of course. And then you're there so you're the good guy ninja and they gotta come kill you? You know what? I'll say it now, I was the badass. <laughs> I was willing to wear a suit that everybody could see me and I couldn't hide except by garage doors. <laughs> and I got my ass kicked. But what I remember one time, and my best my best friend Jason Martinez lived across the street, and um, Jason Martinez was hiding in a tree, but his leg was dangling, and David Allen came by with an actual sword and broke his leg. <laughs> Actually happened. Of course. Of course and it did. Jason Martinez won't ever know to look me up because I've changed my name, but <laughs> if you're out there, Jason, I'm so sorry, and I hope you healed well, I'm, I think you did. Now you're feeling his pain. <sighs> it's all coming back. <laughs> Hurts. So you survived a lot of stuff when you lots, were a kid. Lots. Okay, so another, you know a little something about courage. But I know something about revenge. From the sixth grade, my father's father uh, and mother lived in Virginia. We would go see them once a year. We traveled to see them, and it was really cool time because they had they had a farm with horses and stuff. It was, it was pretty rad. My grandfather bought me a pony, so when I would go there, my pony was there. I can't remember what my pony's name was, perhaps Storm Shadow. And one time he visited, and he was seeing that I was getting beat up all the time. Not only at school, I got beat up by Jason Martinez and William Pickavance. One of Christ's songs was about them, them beating me up. Uh, I got beat up at school, and I also got beat up by my dear friends because we were into ninja stuff. My grandfather visited him one time and was like, you know, we need to, we need to sort this out for you. And he said, have you ever owned a rubber band gun? I was like, yeah, I've made tons. He's like, I'm going to make you a real good one. And I've told this story a few times to friends and it's, I'll try and keep it short, but it's good. My grandfather went out into the garage. We had two power tools and he cut a piece of wood that was probably three feet long, about you know, plywood, so it was probably an inch, maybe an inch thick, maybe less, and about uh, a foot tall. So it was basically a beam, and he put a big notch at one end, and he affixed a gigantic clamp on the other. And when he was done, he handed it to me. He said, here's here's your rubber band gun. And I was like, oh, what? How would you, what rubber bands do we have to tie a bunch together? How do you, op- what is the actual device that shoots and he said well do you have any spare inner tubes from your bikes i said of course like there's a ton there's like i never throw them out i just it's just garbage he cut them into strips and he made gigantic rubber bands out of them and he would pull them in the notch and he would pull them he would stretch them into the clamp and he said let's go shoot your friends and to watch my friends get shot with this was amazing because the rubber band goes a little slower because it's big but they, but no one had time to react because they were so <laughs> scared and in awe. And it would snap my friends in the neck and leave gigantic red welts. <laughs> totally worth it. And that is exactly what happened in history. There, no, was, but- there were, no, no, there were swords and then there were guns. And guns ripped the world to pieces. My That's gr- a good point. And you learned that with originally with rubber band guns. My grandfather. Now, 
were you the one firing the gun or was your grandfather shooting the kids? He shot the kids at first because he got that's a big what I kick out of it. Because that's see, that's a that's where the story gets a little weird. You're just an excuse at that point. Truly, <laughs> truly. So then, when I got to shoot kids, it wasn't it was, you know he would just leave. It wasn't fun anymore. Right. Yeah, and he had this um, really crazy laugh with his teeth clenched. Um, he smoked a pipe, and he had this laugh. You, you knew like a high pitched squealing laugh. No, it was kind of a. I don't want to emulate it because it's it's ridiculous. But um, he just had a laugh about him that he did when he was really stoked, and it only came from two kinds of stoke: one, hurting people, and two, pantsing my sister and I. Oh God. Yeah. Um. Do we go? Does this story get weirder? Nope. That's it. We, okay. were, we were kids. He pantsed us. That that happens, and yeah, then people laugh. Perfectly normal. Perfectly normal. So California. Uh, that was in Virginia, though. That was in California. No, that oh, was okay. my friends in California. Still, you brought so, that. You bring the. You bring the rubber band gum back from Virginia to California. No, no. On one of his visits, he built it in my father's garage. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. He he came out. From Which Virginia. is how I got revenge on all my friends. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we left, we left California and moved to, uh, DC and, uh, I lived in DC and Virginia beach. Um, and then Richmond, Virginia. What years? That would have been, um, I don't know, whatever sixth grade is until college ish. So you lived, I was in, I remember vaguely in the same area, um, as Matt Matsuoka. Hmm. Uh, you could have actually gone to some of the same shows you went we to. We may have gone to some of the same shows. Though I Kids didn't... for Cash, you ever see them? Maybe, because... <laughs> I just think, I love, so that, I love that idea of a strange crossover there. But, hold on. Yeah. We're not talking about shows yet. Yeah, yeah. But that's part of the question. W- was music playing a part in your life in California? It's a good... That is a good, a good place to start in California, because in California, I just listened to the radio and played with Legos and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and, and by my first vinyl as a kid was, um, the Hobbit on a 12 inch, as well as there was a G.I. Joe record where G.I. Joe has to fight a mummy. Okay. And maybe (laughs) somebody will look, look, look that up or know it already. Okay. I do remember it though. Listening to it all the time. (laughs) And and then there was, there was a sound effects record for like Halloween sounds. Right. And I remember a girl getting eaten by a giant crab on the beach and it was so terrifying to me yeah that's awful on vinyl yeah and it made this noise this crickety crackety noise <laughs> nightmares the stuff of nightmares and then the other one you've used a lot of crab and lobster claw imagery in the art that you've done and perhaps now i understand why yeah because crabs are scary man particularly when because they're they eat gigantic. girls on the beach well, when they're gigantic there, there was one of the record i was trying to remember that uh i listened to all the time Anyway, clearly they were mostly. This is not. This is not the music. No, this. What I'm saying is, I I listened to more stories and and stuff. Yeah, on, I had the vinyl. story of Star Wars and I memorized it, and that's why I still know the trash compactor code. Yep. But that's not my first record in my record collection. No, 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 no. But I had I had that too as well. I was I was fiend. Um, <laughs> um. But uh. Three, so three, two, so six, my sister three, two, when I would when I would walk down the hall. I would hear my sister's music mm-hmm. and it was 80s stuff at that point, you know, and the bands that she listened to that spoke to me a little bit were the Violent Femmes. Right on. Um, particularly because there was cursing. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. 
Um, it's amazing the way hearing some swearing in a song will make a kid's ears just yeah, perk up. Yeah. Whoa, what did he say? Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, Talking Heads. Mm-hmm. Um, Depeche Mode. I'm pretty sure that, I don't know if it came out then or later, but Tears for Fears was also one of the 80s bands that I, was, right. so, that I was like, yeah. oh my God, this is great. But I, So she's older than you, so she's, she's listening to cool music. And I'm thinking You're it's pretty that. cool. That means you didn't come in through metal. I didn't come in through metal. Okay. I, there's, I, there's a delineation. There's there's the kids that came in through metal, and then there's kids that came in through like new wave. Well, see, I came in through new wave, but then when I moved to the East Coast, um, it turned into rap and hip hop. Yeah. And at this point, I didn't have. Um, you're on you're on a very Aram Arslanian trajectory. Yeah. Well, he's a good dude. <laughs> yeah. And his is. And it, I hope it, I'm a good it, dude. He's mentioned some of the same bands, and then he went rap. So my question is then: Did you get into rap? My yes, because my sister didn't um, didn't like it. Did you rap? Um, well, le- let's back up. Did you have a rap name? No, I definitely didn't. Okay, cool. Okay, uh, that's that's really all I wanted to know. But there's another story. <laughs> sure. Um, how long is the podcast? Good, good <laughs> hey, grief. people! How long have these podcasts? You been? might have part one and part two. Uh, sadly, for we're, everyone, we're we're not even halfway through a part one. If it's part one, okay, so cool, 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 cool. All right. So there's a story. Um, so in California, in the valley. There were no African American people to be seen. Um, I had never seen. I, there was one African American um, kid at my school in California. No, there was two. Oh my God! There's so many good stories. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so there was two. There was Lydia, and then there was this kid, this this boy, and I don't remember his name. Anyway, um, my sister told me, in very strict confidence, to not share this, which is why I'm sharing it now. And she always told me stuff that was wrong. So she always fucked with me. And if she hears this, it'll be funny because she'll remember this. Uh, Beth, you will remember this. She told me that black people have an extra bone in their ankle and that's why they're so good at sports. And you told, and so <laughs> you told me that years ago. Okay. That's funny. <laughs> and so I, when did you stop believing that? Do they have an extra? Perfect answer, buddy. <laughs> um, so I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't ask the two people at school because they would laugh at me if I was wrong. And I also couldn't ask them because I didn't want them to know that I knew. Wait, okay. So it's not that you didn't want to look stupid. It's that you didn't, <laughs> you didn't want to be found out as having the secret information. I didn't. Because I, I, it was too much of a secret to hold for one small boy. Okay, I love this. It's total crazy town. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, let's move on, though. So <laughs> so another very quick story uh, with Lydia, because we're, we're discussing Yeah, this, this needs to have some kind of a nice ending. It does. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I was allergic to... So I was born lactose intolerant. Um, the first couple of years, I believe it was like... Soy milk at the time or something. It's kind of vegan cheating, dude. Dude, it's cheating. So, so then though, um, I'm, and then I start eating everything like every kid and every kid has allergies and, and every kid has like acne or whatever. I had acne really, really bad. Like, like, like so bad and didn't have girlfriends, nothing. It was really bad. Lydia was really nice to me. She was like at least eight feet tall and I was always a, a little tiny kid. And, uh, I got stung by a bee out on the playground. There was bees and wasps all over the brown grass where we played. 
huge fields of it and, and the bees just swarmed all around it and you just were careful. But I got stung. Well, the, the world was alive back then. Yeah, bees existed still. Um, I got stung. I had an allergic reaction. My throat closed up. Couldn't breathe. And uh, Lydia picked me up just as Frankenstein picks up whatever her name is. And she carried me. I remember she carried me down the hall to the nurse. Wait, wait. Does Frankenstein pick up the bride or does he pick up the little girl and throw her in the water? Which, which one is it with Lydia? Okay. Well, don't assume that Frankenstein's monster threw the little girl in the water because you don't actually see it happen. I've always heard that was the story. No, man. Watch the movie. Read the book. There are flowers floating in the water. She and him are throwing flowers into the water. Yeah. He picks her up. Yeah. And throws her in the water because she's like a flower. End scene. Well, they couldn't show it because they, they couldn't. End get... scene. So, okay. <clears throat> the, you want me to scene, believe. Everyone... You want me to believe that Frankenstein doesn't throw the girl in the water. That's not the point of the scene. I believe to this day that, and my mom too, because we watched the movie many, many, many times. Oh, this is how your mom made it okay for you. Go on. The little girl jumped into the water. She thought she could float just like the flowers. Frankenstein, because his back hurt, was unable to reach down and grab her. Why is she in the water? She thought that she could swim and float just but like the But you said that flowers. you don't see her go in the water, so why do you have to have the girl in the water at all? Because they pull her out of the water. She's drowned. Okay, see... You I... don't see Frankenstein's monster. Let's just call him Frankenstein's creation, because really he wasn't a monster. He was... You know, everybody bad, understands bad. now, I think, that we say Frankenstein. We don't mean the doctor. We mean the creature that okay, he created. fine. And in fact, you can say Frankenstein's now. Okay. To make plural versions. <laughs> True. That's, that's not even me. No laughing. That's like, has no laughing. happened. It hurts my back. So, it hurts my back. No laughing. No laughing. Okay. Um, so but, I don't believe the Frankenstein threw her in. That but said, I think, it's, I think it, it speaks to your character a little bit, the things that you care about. These, these are the kind of things that matter. If it was important yeah. to you as a kid... That the Frankenstein didn't throw the little girl in the water, and your mom helped you concoct a story. I don't about know. how Frankenstein's back hurt too bad to help get her out. Okay, that I just made up because my back hurts. But oh Jesus, I okay. don't. I don't. The next scene is, as I recall, the dead, drowned girl okay. Okay. is being brought through the village, and yeah, everyone's super fucking pissed. Right. It, I mean, literally, if I if I ever even saw this, I was a little kid. So. And who do you blame? You blame the guy who's made of dead parts. Who walks? Yeah, the guy who did it. You would respect this. You don't know that he did that. You make films. You write scripts. Maybe there's a... I don't think there's ambiguity in Frankenstein. I don't think that's what it's meant to be. You know what? You were carrying the torch that day in the town. And that sucks. He said, I'm a torch bearer. Yep. No, I'm not. I'm not. You are the one who believes. You, you, that's sad. I'm more of a pitchforker. I don't want to do this anymore. Okay. I'm, I didn't mean to touch a nerve here. Let's move on. Let's move on. So uh, Lydia is carrying me down the hallway as Frankenstein's creation might have carried the uh, the young girl. Maybe he pulled her out of the water. Maybe. Okay. So my throat's closing up. Can't breathe. I get to the nurse. Lydia tells uh, the nurse what happened, and I'm immediately given a, a shot of whatever it is that makes throats open when you've been stung. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Epinephrine? Um, but pretty I, that my life possibly was saved by Lydia that day. Sure. And for many years after that, I believed that Lydia had an extra bone in her ankle, and that's why she was able to carry me. I was a child. And you'd been told this story. I'd been told this story. You, There's no way to fact check it. There's no Google. Aaron, did you tell me as an adult 
this story. I told you as an adult this story because it was funny when I was. But you up. didn't tell me. No, no, no. I'm not asking if you told the story of being carried. Oh. Did you tell me as an adult that you believed that the black people had an extra bone in their ankle? <laughs> Absolutely did not. Absolutely did not. Are you sure? <laughs> Quite sure. That was a very funny story when I was a child, and I tell it now. Very sparingly. No, 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 I don't mean now. I mean oh. 20 years ago. No, 20 years ago. Uh, not 20. 18 years ago. I probably believed <clears throat> that African Americans had an extra bone in their ankle that enabled them to run and jump faster, probably until I was 12. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's. I mean, there are 12-year-olds that believe in Santa Claus. Wait. Okay. okay, now I live in D.C. And okay. I'm still too young for... Um, you haven't you haven't encountered punk rock music yet? Sadly, no, because that's when everything was fucking raging. I didn't get to time. see any of the Discord bands then at that time. I saw them right after, but I didn't see Minor Threat. And I didn't even get to see the Today at the time. I didn't get to see Chain Strength, all the, the wave of fun, fun rad game changers. Uh, at the time, I was listening to Slick Rick and uh run dmc but chance strength doesn't tell much later well you, you know what i mean though like even the, even the, then right oh even at that time i was into punk rock and, okay. but i didn't get to see them and it was sad but but when my threat was playing i still wasn't and, and bad brains when they started i didn't i wasn't keyed in at that time so basically i went from slick rick run dmc beastie boys uh someone I don't I don't remember. I wish I did. Said uh, Iron Maiden's cool. And then I was into Iron Maiden and metal and right. like no hip hop or rap. Oh, since. so you abandoned I the hip hop. I abandoned it. Because I think at that point I still believe that black people had an extra bone in their ankle. And I, I felt weird about the whole thing. No, I didn't. <laughs> That's funny though. I keep bringing it up. It's, it's a callback, but you did it too soon. Yeah, I did it too soon. <laughs> in, about, in, in like 40 minutes. That's when you do an extra bone yeah. joke. Okay. Okay. So uh, I I recall having um, Eddie Peace of Mind a door poster on the back of my door. I couldn't have it on the front because it was too much for my folks to deal with. I had it on the back, and I and rem- that's him in the straight jacket. Yep. 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 That's the Iron Maiden mascot, Eddie. Yep. And uh, and then I drew him all the time on right. everything, like right. everybody else who did. I drew it on skateboards. I painted it on stuff on jackets, and then. Um, and then a couple of years must have passed, but I failed my first junior high and in summer school, I met some kids who skateboarded and I was like, Oh, I used to skate. And you know, I, I don't skate like you guys skate. You guys really skate, but, um, what do you, you guys want to hang out? And they're like, well, you can hang out with us, but you know, you're into exploited and you're into, um, dead Kennedys and the cramps and, uh, you're into punk rock. We listened to some different kind of music. I was like, well, okay. You had already made the, the transition from metal I, into I did. that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was years later. I, I, I don't recall how I got it. I always want to know the event. No, I do. I actually recall now that we're going there. Um, so I was listening to hip hop and then I got into metal. And then I realized that, you know, all the church that my, my parents are still forcing me to go to, there is a thing called youth group and girls go to youth group. And so I went to youth group. Now, still acne covered kid, um, allergic to everything. I went to youth group and I met a guy there that wore a trench coat, a kid. Tell me more. This kid's name I cannot remember. I wish I could. Um, 
but he had on the back of his jacket the um the art for stiff little fingers oh and i'm 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 waiting for you to like not be able to remember black flag or the corrosion of conformity skull but no stiff little fingers stiff little fingers the cramps i believe were my very first introduction to punk rock and from seeing the art on the back of that guy's trench coat i was like what is that and wanting to know and after that you're done you have to know because yeah. you know what though, it's cool. Because especially with the cramps, you're talking probably talking about that that classic picture of that guy. It's like that's not too far off from Eddie, right? There, there is there is a correlation. So, and it was all on cassette, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, he was he would slip me the but cassette. But you were you, and this makes sense for you. You were art driven mm-hmm. into Definitely. the music. I was already drawing Eddie all the time. Right. I was already painting and drawing as a kid. In fact, wind back a couple of years, the only other things I ever won. Two years in a row, out of the whole country, I won a poster contest on the back of Kellogg's cereal box. Two free bikes. Both years. Really? In a row. Fuck everybody, I won. Those are the only two things I ever won until fast forward. <laughs> uh, so, but they were road bikes, so I didn't care at the time. Which is totally stupid, because now I'm obsessed with road bikes. Right. Um, I'm going to take a five-minute break, and you can play some music. We're going we're gonna to take a quick break, and then yeah. we'll come back. Yeah, yeah, I'll be right back. Okay, we're back after a little bit of uh, repositioning. We are here, and we were talking about you discovering music from the art on the back of a trench coat. Indeed, stiff little fingers. Yep, um, and the cramps. And the cramps. I think he had a cramps uh, button, perhaps. But either way, like those were the first two bands. Um, really, he so he had me listen to things while I was at youth crew. Well, youth youth group. <laughs> youth group. So we're so saying youth group. <laughs> Uh, youth crew. Uh, it was youth group, and um, um, I think that's where uh, a girl first kissed me. So that was kind of cool. Um, first kiss at in the church. In the church. In fact, at youth group. In fact, illegal. Uh, now I'm remembering. So what we did is one time there was a sleepover at the church. They called them lock-ins. Yeah, they fucking did. Yeah. Those fuckers. So, was this was this uh, like Pentecostal, like Holy Rollers, or Episcopalian? What? Okay, I don't know. So, um, it is what it is. It's church. So, okay. So there's a lock in, and we're all stoked because the lights will be dimmed, and we will get to all like be close to each other and fondle each other through sleeping bags. Well, you know what? They didn't keep you up all night playing games. They did, but then at some point, kids got to go to bed. Yeah. Um, but I remember being some girl got dared to kiss me. Which fucking sucks, but that was my first kiss. I'm pretty sure that I can't remember. So that that sucks. It sucks that somebody was. You, you, it dared. bothers you to this day that it was a dare. Yeah. Although now that we're talking about all this stuff, there was a girl named Celeste in California who I who I would invite over to play. Uh, we would have slides, you know. We'd have like um, hoses set up on slides, and kids would slide on them on on the front of their lawns, that kind of thing. Slip and slide. Yeah, we, we, but they're homemade. They're homemade, like the, like made out of a tarp or something yeah. cool, right? And big strips. I remember inviting Celeste. I I haven't remembered this for years. First of all, her name's fucking amazing. I can remember her name. Um, Celeste would come over in a little bikini, and I was, you know, what I don't know how old you are, and you're just about sixth grade, eleven. Okay, so she would come over and um, I would invite her over. And then I, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but I will say it because fuck it. I remember coming up with a game 
that was for her to chase me around my lawn. And so we're running around in my lawn, sliding around in the wet grass, her and her in a bikini. <laughs> and probably that was my first, my first actual, um, like a known attraction to right. the opposite sex. Is that noise going to stay? That This will go away. Oh, but I don't know what that noise is. Yeah, whatever it was is gone. So, Celeste, so Celeste that, that was your so that was your first uh, attracted to a girl. It wasn't yeah. just another playmate. It was like, oh, there's something different here. Yeah, I got to get her. Here. To, I got to get her to chase. And me. she would chase me and accidentally catch me. Um, yeah, that was that. So then, fast forward, my first kiss though was definitely at um, the lock-in, and it was on a dare, which is fucking miserable. That happened again later in life too. A girl was dared to go out with me on a full date and make out with me. Uh, so it's, ha- it's Wait, that's a like recurring mo- theme. That's like a movie. It wasn't real. No, it really. I wouldn't happened. take that bet. Really happened. Wait, so your what's the movie where the guy has to date the girl on the bet? She's all that. That's a '90s teen film. Okay. A guy dates a girl who's supposed to be ugly, but she's not at all. But I don't. His, I don't- I don't remember. She's got the she's an art girl, so she's got paint splattered over all, so she's ugly. So you probably remember how terrible she felt when she found out. Yes. Well, that was me later, probably about age fifteen or sixteen or something. So this girl didn't go out with you and make no. out with you and then decide she liked you. She just went, I did it and got her like bubblegum or whatever. You no, know, why because life fucking sucks and the movies don't happen. Well, no, it's just the you have to make the movies entertaining and That's a good point. Aaron, the thing about this is there's there's no humor on your face right now. The, you, this no, actually I'm is making you mad. I'm remembering um, there's two women, two girls. Um, Don't I worked, worry about their names. Later in life, I worked at a bagel shop. Yeah. And I would serve lox and cream cheese to these people. And I remember at some point, these two beautiful girls came in and, and one said, Hey, Aaron, do you want to go out? We're going to go see this movie and we can hang out and there's a party. And I was like, fuck yeah. This is, I, I've never, that's never happened. Yes. You're beautiful. Yes. I know you're popular at school. Yes. And I remember being in the back of the theater. It's what you did and you would make out. And then the next day I saw her at school and was like, hey. And she's like, don't talk to me. And someone at some point keyed me in that that was a, it was just a one time thing. It was like an initiation. Yeah. You should think of it that way. It's probably better than thinking of it Oh, as you a know, bet. that was my initiation into hatred. <laughs> yep. Uh, anyway, that's that was a, a little later. That's pain, man. It's pain because hurts. you're sitting here with a broken back and MS, and I think you're more pissed off at this thing than just about anything. Probably. Wow. Yeah, that sucks. Insights into the mind of Aaron Edge. Yeah. Okay. You're, you met some guys that said you listen to punk rock and yeah, that's yeah. not what we listen to. But the first cassette I bought oh yeah, was Angry Samoans Back From Samoa. I believe it's Back From Samoa and that record was ripping. Like it had songs like Hitler's Cock, I Found Under a Rock. Like the, the lyrics were incredible. Mm. Just ridiculous. <laughs> and it was, and you still listen to the songs and the songs are well crafted enough today to like be like, man, that's fucking, that's like the punk I started on. Anyway, so, so I was a punk kid and I had the Mohawk and I would walk around my, uh, my parents, um, nice manicured, uh, cul-de-sac with a little boom box uh, over my shoulder listening to like, um, 
you know, exploited quite a bit. I was a big exploited fan, Black Flag, um, of course. Uh, but my first cassette was Angus Moons. My first punk rock record was, um, Reason to Believe, the seven inch. So it's not When Reason Sleeps, which is the full length. It was the seven inch before it. But you don't have to definitely differentiate that between like punk rock and hardcore. Cause a lot, I mean, that, that, that was a record that was considered like hardcore record collection record. And I remember when I got it was when, so, so. But that was different than their stuff you listened to. Did it kind of blow you away? It fucking blew my mind. And so there's actually this and little that transition. LP is, is fantastic. Is the best record, the best melodic record of its time. There's nothing. It's, it's, it's really way up so there. So good. L- later, I met and you John, dug the God John Bunch. Yes, but later I met John Bunch at the um, Rev reunion show in California, where I was uh-huh. living at the time. This was, you know, a couple years back. I met him and told him the story, and he was like, "I've never heard that my band was the first record they bought." And I was like, "Well, it is, and you're 12 feet tall." And it was very awkward talking to him. <laughs> he was so nice. He's and a they, tall guy with a they, cool voice. He brought Walter over, and was like. Do you know Walter? And I was like, assuming perhaps, possibly I did, because I had a backstage pass. Mm-hmm. I was working at Southern Lord at the time, so I was gifted all these really nice um, ways to meet people, like a backstage pass. And um, and I was like, no, I've never met you, um, but I've seen every every incarnation of your bands. And he was like, oh, that's really nice. Thank you. And I was like, no, thank you. And I got a photo with them, and I can give you that later. Oh, cool. Um, that was fucking mind-blowing to meet those guys. Uh, anyway. That was the first record I got. But there's a little bit between those things. Um, so I was a punk rock kid. I was in summer school, and these kids were skateboarding uh-huh. during our break. <clears throat> they said, you can hang out with us if you um, don't do drugs, because we're all straight-edge kids. And I was like, I don't know what that is, which was, like, awesome. That was – I was 15 – or, yeah, I was 15 at the time. And since I was 13, I had been doing inhalants – and drinking and huffing gas on my own, not at parties. I had no friends in my closet or in the garage. That's all I did. You were just drinking and doing inhalants and huffing and playing in punk bands. And, and you were doing this just by yourself because yep. you just wanted to escape. Yep. I was terribly depressed and I was one of two drummers in town. So I was in like a bunch of bands and that was my only release. And I did drugs with all these kids and I didn't know what strange was. So, um, I'm at summer school. And the band, oh, I can't remember the band. They were in a band too. I remember the guy's name, Greg. Okay. And, and he said, if you want to hang out with us, you gotta be, you gotta be, you can't do drugs. We're straight edge. I was like, tell me about it. And, and, he, and through him, I met a couple other kids who, uh, gave me a full 10 space collection of cassettes, like in a zip, zipped bag. You remember those? Like it was like a yeah. little case. Yeah. They filled case it up. logic. Yeah. 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 So they filled it up with bands, knowing that I was going on a trip to come to Portland, oddly, to visit my cool uncle who plays music and is the younger of all the adults in my family who's still hip. They knew I was going on a plane, so they gave me these cassettes. I had no idea what they were. I brought fucking every extra battery I could for this because this was going to be like a journey. And I was set to like check all this shit out. Sure. Um, I get on the plane. And I'm totally spiked out and like mohawk and, uh, combat boots. Um, and just, just, uh, just a wreck for everyone else to see. <laughs> and I'm, I, I unzip the case and I start going through all the bands and the bands were sick of it all. They, every rev release, uh, Gorilla Biscuits, 
Minor Threat, which by then, of course, was probably like broken up because this was, you know, 80. This was on the, this was 89. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Minor yeah. Threat's gone for years yeah, at some point. So, well, and in fact, for those rev releases to be out, it's got to be in 89, 90 or, or exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Youth Today and Bold and, yep. um, and, uh, so that's what I'm taking with me. All straight edge related bands or members of straight edge band in this band that I'm listening to or whatever it is. And that's, so you, you got that all in one big hit. One big fucking punch in the face. And I, oh, that's how Aaron Edge happens. Dude. So even better though, I decide right on, right that date, like I'm learning. By then they talked to me about straight edge, what it is, how, the, how it technically could have started or whatever, uh, via, Ian's song and uh and I was like oh my god oh my god oh my god and at that point I probably had a Fugazi no maybe not I know I probably didn't because I hated Fugazi at first because it wasn't my threat anyway I'm on the plane sorry everybody trying to make it short um I'm on the plane to Portland to visit my uncle and by the time I land I fucking have a whole new attitude I'm gonna be vegetarian I'm not gonna do drugs and uh I'm gonna claim it it's gonna be a big deal so when I visit my, you called it in the air. I did, I totally did. I don't know where over the over what city it was, but it happened. And when I landed, um, my uh, uncle and aunt were about to. Uh, they, they just had a child, and um, they, they had work for me to do. My parents had decided he's fucked up. Uncle Rob, you take him. You're the one he loves, and you can tell him what to do, and you'll shape this kid into a good kid. So they had me doing all this work, take, taking stumps out of the ground and like cleaning up. And like, I'm walking around this tiny town. Uh, out, it's actually not in Portland. It was, uh, um, uh, on the beach, small town. Uh, I'm walking around this whole town and totally shaved head then when I got there. And, uh, everyone thinks I'm a Nazi because that's, that was big in Portland at the time and in Oregon. Oh, yeah. It was a big deal. Yeah. And I decided I was a skinhead too. I was a, uh, sharp. I was a skinhead against racial prejudice, and I was decided that I was going to, you know, fight racism, and and I was going to fight racism in every town that I came to. <laughs> uh, and uh, fast forward a few days, I'm staying there. I stayed there for a month. On my birthday, July 9th of 1989, my uncle said, "We bought a whole bunch of seafood home for you because I know you love eating seafood." It's all fresh and we're having a gigantic, you know, dinner tonight. And I was like, this morning I claimed that I'm straight edge and I'm also a vegetarian and I'm not going to eat fish. And he said, okay, I get, I get that you're young and you want to raise wave flags and you want to be this good person, but do it tomorrow. Like I just bought all this seafood and I was like, no, I can't do it. And I wouldn't do it. And so I decided that, uh, like if I can make a decision like that, Give up all the drugs, give up eating meat that and disappoint the family and, and, but discipline myself, a disappointment and a discipline all yeah, at the same time. Yeah. Um, my aunt. Well, and that's, that's thought, a reason it was really cool. That's a reason to remember the day. I mean, that's the, and so every time I come up with a new year's resolution, it's on my birthday. Yeah. So later, you know, fast forward three years, I actually became vegan on okay. my birthday, uh, 19, sure. 19th birthday. So, uh, my aunt thought it was really cool that I was able to make this crazy decision and live by it that day. And my uncle was, he was pissed. He was bombed. Yeah. He pulled the rug out on his excitement a little bit. What are you going to do? On my birthday that night for a present, my uncle Rob says, you're a weird kid. You like music and that's rad. 
And, you know, we had jammed down in his basement. He's a guitarist. He plays like Jimi Hendrix. He's very good, very soulful. Full. I would play drums and we'd hang out in, in his basement. It was perfect for me to be there. Uh, while I was there, oh, so, so this is my birthday. That night, my Uncle Rob passes me a present. And I unwrap it. And it's a very strange looking, gigantic book. And I don't care about books. I don't read. I'm a kid. And, uh, and I can't even pronounce what it's called. And he says, you're a weird kid. I got this in an airport and, uh, you might like enjoy, you might enjoy this. It's totally weird. And I just don't eat. I, it's been in my collection and dusty for like 30 years. So just, I don't know. You might dig it. It's totally weird. And I was like, okay. And how do you pronounce that book? The Bhagavad Gita. Yeah. I was introduced to Hare Krishna by my uncle. Not even hardcore. Who is not a Krishna. Who's not a Krishna. Who's not a vegetarian. So he doesn't give a damn. So you started reading that thing. I did. And and for, at first I read it and was like, this is weird. I don't understand. Sure. No, no, you know, now you and I have had this conversation many times. And you being not a Christian anymore, I'm not afraid to, to offend you. I had no, no place for this Hare Krishna garbage in my, it, like, right from the beginning. Half the world didn't. And and I still don't. And I don't, I don't like it. Any religion whatsoever in my hardcore. It's not chocolate and my peanut butter. It's 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 exactly the opposite of what that would be, and that's not peanut butter and my chocolate. It's it's it's, it's awful. So you were part of actually something that I and the more I was exposed to it because there was the there was first we were stoked on Inside Out and then we were stoked on right. Shelter and they were good and then Shelter played Bills but everything was getting way more and by the time it was one away I was just like God please no no right. no more of this. But that's your whole life at this point, I'm imagining. Not yet. I got this book. I'd never heard of it. Didn't know, didn't know what it was. I got back. Sorry. I'm there for about a month. I buy records while I'm there. I'm so excited about all the tapes that my friends have bought or loaned me that I buy records while I'm there at my uncle's house. And I buy Reason to Believe's first 7-inch. And I was like, the drumming was great. It was the first like hardcore or punk band besides, you know, Dag Nasty that was, was one of the tapes. It was one of the first bands I heard where singing was cool over rocking, like, but, but abrasive enough hardcore or punk. And, um, then I decided, okay, I can, I can listen to all kinds of different music. Sure. That's, that's angst driven. Um, so I, I get back to home, back home and my parents are like, how was your trip? And I was like, it was, awesome so many things happened and you i know you guys won't believe it but i'm not drinking anymore i'm not doing any drugs not behind your back i'm not going to buy a joint every day with lunch money at school and i'm i'm a vegetarian now and they were like so excited for some of it and not going to believe it that i was you know completely sober they were excited to hear that i was excited about it they were not excited about vegetarianism. And I know that my uncle got called and they're like, what happened? <laughs> and he's like, yo, I had nothing to do with that. So it was tough being vegetarian at home, living at home when you're 16. And I ate a lot of uh, grillers. I remember mm-hmm. that was the, that was the vegetarian burger at the time, possibly even vegan. I can't remember. My friends and I, my punk friends, we all became vegetarian. Sure. Not everybody be straight edge, but all my friends. Huge wave of it at that time. Yeah, big. Because you're in about 1990 now? 1989, 1990, yep. Yeah. And I'm living uh, in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and we had a pretty rad scene. Um, there was only a couple of us drummers, like I said, so we were in, in demand. So my first straight edge band I played in was Set of Standards. 
and we did um covered a couple uh instead songs and we did two originals and my friend ronnie who i'm still friends with here and and uh nate uh newton and uh dave brown these are all guys that that are still around and giving a damn about music if not like you know raising their fists still but like nate newton plays in converge i mean and doom Riders just travels the world and uh i love that he is still doing what he what he loves to do every time i see him i'm so stoked for him um and, and there's others. Um, another friend, Ian, he played bass in, in that actual band. He's still out there um, playing music. Were and, you in uh, Virginia Beach in 93? Let's see. Probably probably D.C. still. Okay. Because well, dr- I moved from Virginia Beach to and D.C. Did you come out to the to whatever um, Undertow Spark Marker show would have been closest to where you were living in 93, summer 93? I saw that show and my band opened called Anonymous. We we opened for Sparkmarker, but I don't know if it was when Undertow was on tour with them. In 93? I, I did see Undertow at a show in D.C. with, like, a bunch of other big bands, though. Maybe Earth Crisis, maybe... In, in the winter, not in the summer. Yeah, I wouldn't remember. It was all all those shows. Well, were, I was just going to uh, adjust when we met. Because oh. if you came out on the 93 Sparkmarker Undertow, you met me there. I Pro- did, it probably. I did play with Sparkmarker, but I don't think it was with went with Undertow. Ryan singing or Kim? I don't remember. Okay. I just remember being like, who's that band? Right. Okay. And then being like, oh, that band. Cool. Uh that was later though. Um okay. that was when All right, I Right, so so yeah. let's we're gonna stick with the with the party, with the the Halloween party. Yeah, 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 but yeah, we, yeah. we pro we could have run across each other if you were active and going to shows. And most of the most of the requirements for um the things that I want to know about have now been met. Right. Right. I want to know about you and Krishna. Okay, so so then I come I come back um with the Bhagavad Gita and I still have the book and don't care about it. And then I go, my friends say, We're gonna go see Shelter's new band play and uh they might play some Youth Today songs. And it's at a Hare Krishna uh temple in Maryland. And I was like, What the hell's that? I was like Oh, wait, 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 wait. That fucking weird book I got from my uncle, I think it says something, Hare Krishna. I got the book out and was like, yeah, 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 yeah. So I hear, before I go to the show, I hear Shelter. And I don't know when that was. It's very difficult to... Do you remember which record you heard? I don't because I, I'm... Pretty sure I recall my Virginia Beach friends taking me to see the first show they played. Okay. And it was at the temple, and they played some. And my friends on the gram will have to try and correct me on this, <laughs> but in my mind, it's their first show, and they and Shelter played. You know, the, uh, Youth Today played a few songs after, which is the same guys, clearly. Um, but they played some of the seven inch songs. Like at the, the end of these today, which are fantastic songs. Yeah, okay. Like the better of the songs, I I think. Um, but on the way, but you don't mean the Shelter Seven Inch. You're not talking about uh, Serenagate and stuff like that. No, 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 I'm talking about the Last Youth Today. Yeah, record. okay. Uh, all right, as, cool. So, so you see Shelter play, but as I recall, and I say this all the time, but as far as I can remember, I had already gotten stoked on Krishna on the way to that show because I remember having beads that I had put together myself because I didn't I didn't have them. You had homemade beads. I had homemade beads before I was Hare Krishna and I think I was chanting in the van and and uh when I put this up 
my friend Mike McCann was in the van. Because I have a photo of us both in the van. We went with our friends in a band called Tomorrow's Gone, which was the local hardcore band that played on stages. Like, they were mm-hmm. the the bigger band. Not huge, but, like, they they would open for bands that came into town. Um, and I was chanting on these beads on the way, probably, in, I mean, had no idea what I was doing. But I was, my stoke level was fucking on fire. Yeah. And, I, and then I saw Shelter play. I saw, um, I met a devotee, devotee named Richard, old guy, probably 70 at the time, who said that I was a, he could tell that I was a yogi in my past life. And I fucking flipped. Now the sound of my eyes rolling doesn't come through the, doesn't come through the mic, but Aaron <laughs> saw it. <laughs> it, I'm a kid. I'm impressionable. Hey, were you still able to fit into your old white ninja suit? Cause you could have just, I could have just kicked his ass. Oh, I would say you could have just worn that instead of the... Oh, it's true. But don't mix cultures. Don't mix them. Uh, I was I was hooked, like, right away. I was like, well, this is my life forever. I don't I don't want to live with my parents already. Um, if I can play music... Oh, and, and you're pissed at women because of the bet. No. And so the whole Krishna thing probably made sense. No, because, of course, the Hare Krishna movement doesn't want you to feel that. They don't want you to feel, they don't want anyone to feel as if they're not welcome. So I wasn't keyed into anything sexist. I wasn't keyed to anything racist. I wasn't keyed to anything except this. Right, but getting, get, going into a place where you didn't have to maybe deal with girls. Well, that's a good point. Was maybe getting away from this traumatic that's event a, that had happened to you involving these girls. Got it. Yes. Okay. Indeed. I need a reason for this to make sense to me, so I'll look yeah. for it. Maybe, yeah, 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 yeah. maybe it'll maybe it'll work for you too. No, you can you can reach and find something. Um, basically, well, I reach out my hand. Yeah, yeah. Basically, my uh, you know, my parents forced Christianity on me, and my sister when she stayed Christian, she still is. And uh, I wanted to believe in something so bad, and then all of a sudden, there's this uh. There's this entity that is both good and bad, and it praises and punishes. I was like, no devil? That's pretty fucking rad. But there's demons that tear people apart. That's cool. Krishna has six arms, and he's blue, and he also can be technically a woman as Radha Krishna. I was like, this isn't sexist. This is like real deal. Like, God is a man and a woman kind of at times. Well, I'm in. And there's bands playing music about it and getting away with it. Fuck yeah. So that's when I met Rob Fish, technically, ah. was when 108 and Shelter did one of their first tours in a bus. They brought a bunch of kids to be stoked and be Hare Krishna kids and just be stoked and carry gear. And I remember being in an early Shelter video behind, um, I believe Eric was playing drums, standing behind him. There was incense everywhere. My eyes were burning up and I was behind him doing this like... You know, the dance that we all did and like hands up and fucking. I, I wish I could have got a picture when you first did that because you got real, you got real into it there for a minute. Well, I'm being sarcastic, but I'm also but remembering. It looked, it looked pretty good though. Well, I'm also remembering that I was so stoked. You were excited about it. I was like, I would hope so. I, I mean, was like, what, th- there has to be something. There has to be a reason why you're in this bullshit. There was every reason. There was a different God that no one wants to admit they like or th- that could exist. It was from a different culture in a different language. Sure. You know, which was fucking amazing and intriguing. Um, 
They didn't meet. Fucking awesome. What a great culture to be invited into. And they didn't, um, they weren't into intoxicants or sex outside of marriage. And I was like, this is, girls don't really like me anyway. So this is, this could be my life forever. And, and it was for a long time. Nine and a half years. That's insane. But during that time, I did have girlfriends. There was times when girls would let me have sex with them. Wait a minute. It's not nine and a half years because that puts it three years after we met. You're still a Krishna. It was. If it started, even if it started in 1990, it has to end by 1997. It ended in 97. So was seven that? years, seven years. So seven years. Correct. Thank and if, if it's if it starts from the beginning of ninety, we can include that, and we can make it eight. So it's close. It was yeah, it was eighty nine. Oh well, it's okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty it's, it is. But I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, my yeah, god, yeah. if you're because if you're talking about shelter and one hundred eight at, at the beginning, that that would put you way beyond. When I met you, you weren't Krishna anymore. Correct. So, and I remember that being a, a weird thing. I talked to you about it and be like, this is weird to me. Yeah, and I was like, it's weird to me too. At that point. <laughs> Um, I mean, I was a, I was a, oh, so I was a full blown Krishna. I wasn't in ever, yeah, yeah, okay. but, but I wasn't initiated. So basically I was, I was a devotee in the Wait sense of, wait a minute. So there's an initiation you have to go through. And if you don't, then you are, you're a devotee and then you get initiated or you're initiated to be a devotee. You're a, dev, you're called it. You call yourself a devotee because you're in a Krishna culture. But you get become initiated at some point, and oh. you and you follow a spiritual. Is that kind of like with Scientologists, where they where they reveal that it's all bullshit? No, they actually <sighs> further wash your brain. Oh, really? get a better scrubbing. <laughs> well, that's. I mean, ultimately, I do think that's what the Scientology yeah. thing is too. But but remember that now that I'm not in it, I can say that even though I was being cleansed and brainwashed. I believe that. I also wanted it. I think it's Fucking okay. No, no. It. I think it's yeah. okay for you to look back and telling this story. And even though I'm clearly a much more hostile party in this, um, that to look back and say, no, I did. I know the reasons I did it. And I accepted yeah. this brainwashing religion type thing. Yep. And, and I, they were good for me and I'd do it again. And I totally yep. would accept that. Yep. If it happened and I, at the same time in my life, I, I definitely would have done it. It did a few things for me. It gave me a reason to not want to kill myself. Because I was a suicide attempt kid. So it's good enough then. And it uh, brought me more into music, mm -hmm. definitely. Like, it didn't want to give up on it. Um, it gave me something to to believe in besides just punk rock, which wasn't quite enough at the time for me. And there was a bit, and you know, so many of us got into it. So it was a big crew. I mean, we all. I mean, God, you could have been hardline. And I would have been if, uh, if I didn't catch it early, like I, I, I read into it and was like, nope. <laughs> uh, so you're not all crazy. Yeah. And so even though I was interested in Hare Krishna, like I said, I still had girlfriends. I still was in bands. I still went to college and there were times when, of course, I was more into it and, and less into oh, it. Oh, so you ebbed and flowed. I did. There were times when I lived in, in Hare Krishna temples for a while. Uh, there were times when I'd come back to my home. There were times when I'd live in an apartment. I'd move back into a temple, and but I never stopped believing in the four principles, which were the four principles of your religion, which were sex outside of marriage, uh, substances, gambling, and um, oh my God, what's the other one? Vegetarianism. Oh yeah, yeah, 
Thank you. That's it, isn't it? Are so you, it was you, it was opposed to those things. Were you a yogi in your past life? Yeah, probably. Yeah. I was Yogi Bear. <laughs> that rules. That's the first good laugh for me. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I do what I can. Yogi the Bear. Um, Rath, I watched all your cartoons. Uh, so, yeah, I did that. And um, I played the other day. A friend uh, asked me how many bands I was in. Well, not the other day, like six months ago. And uh, I said, I don't know. Let me spend some time and count. You had to count them up. 53. You've been in 53 bands? 53 musical I'm endeavors. I'm not going to question it for a minute. I'm sure that you were Some were bands. a recording. Some were one show. Some were a week. Some were years. Some toured. Some didn't. Some recorded. Some didn't. Um, some were just me uh, filling in for a while, in, but in the band, and then that was it. But yeah, 53, not counting maybe some of the two new ones. So yeah, maybe at this point, 55 musical endeavors. Okay, so I think we're, we're going to end up talking about some of those bands here in a little bit. But um, I think that's mostly what we want to know up to the meeting. Yeah. Um, what? Tell me what made you come out of Krishna. I am, in, I am interested in that. What's the thing that made you go no? There was a time in Philadelphia, so I was working at a tattoo shop, and this is post-college. Uh, uh, actually, actually, technically, I went to school in Richmond, Virginia for two years, lived there for a bunch and played in bands and toured, and then I moved to Philadelphia, played in bands and toured, and I went to my second college, um, which was I was more serious about. The first was fine art. This was, was graphic design specific. And I was working at a tattoo shop as a shop manager. Um, and uh Philadelphia was a rough place at that time and the hardcore scene was rough. We all were in were in strange gangs and fights and um it was brutal. It was it was a rough time actually. But because I had some I had a crew, uh not that much happened to me and I was sort of protected from when stuff went down and if I was a jerk and started something up, they backed me up, didn't matter what it was and but there was one time where and I don't want to go into too many specifics because I don't want people to be looked up again and I don't even want to stir it up because it was that, it was that bad. And it's recent enough that everyone's still there. So, or everyone's still around somewhere. Potentially. Yeah. But, uh, uh, I stood up for someone and I stood up for the wrong person to, to these other people that I still would stand up for this person because they were the best good hearted person. Right. They basically raised their voice against a gang of thugs and said, these guys suck in our scene. And I, I protected him because he got roughed up. And then it was me that, that took the brunt of it. And because it was someone I knew very well, I didn't fight back. Hmm. And I refused to as, as sort of like a, a statement because the whole scene was there to see it. I didn't fight back and I got pummeled real bad. Uh, I also had just played in a band where we played a festival with another band. That band was really thuggish. Huge fight broke out. This is like hundreds of yeah. children that we are all children, basically, like young, very young adults. And I saw girls getting beaten with chairs. I pulled the kid out from under a table, so covered in blood I couldn't tell what sex they were. The scene was getting so rough. And I had already quit a band to move into a temple because I was tired of it. I, t I quit Grip. Yeah. Grip was one of my favorite bands I was in at the time 
first band I ever recorded a record with. And we played a show with Resurrection. And this was, I don't know, early 90s. And um, I told Chris Daly that night, I was like, I'm quitting. I don't want to play uh, music anymore. And he's like, why? I was like, did you see all the fights that we had to stop and and wait for them to, you know, fizzle out all night? This was, I believe, in Boston, which is a tough city. Yeah. Uh, and I told Chris Daly I was done and he said, don't let the other people ruin it for you. And I remember that forever, but it did ruin it for me for, for, for a time. I moved to no temple, wasn't in a band for, for a while, came back, went to college, whatever. Steam was rough. I started to grow up, I think a little bit. And, um, the people around me, they either weren't growing up or they just didn't want to change. And I sort of thought that my life wasn't going far and it was pretty crummy and it was my selfishness of thinking God wasn't being good to me that made me believe there wasn't a God which is completely selfish to think that if there was a God that God would look out for only you and protect only you right but I'm glad that I thought that because it stirred up emotions in me that was like this is just life this is just there's nothing else it's just us and that made me instantly feel like you know when you make a big change in your life and you stick to it like becoming straight edge or or at that time i had been vegan it was one more choice i could make that would make me feel better and i instantly did i was like i i don't think i believed in god i just wanted to and i love the culture the krishna culture right. around it so it, it believing in up. god was kind of like the price of admission believing in their god kind of but it wasn't really a price of admission it was more like i never felt like though i though i firmly believe that i was um like brainwashed some i i still believe that it was a welcoming thing every time i stepped away from the uh from krishna consciousness a little bit and uh you know, never with drugs or eating meat or anything but more like to fall in love mm -hmm. and i would have you know, spiritual teachers tell me you can't love another human. Right. You can only love God because that's a shell you're loving, a soul you're not knowing. So you, you can't really be in love. And I was like, no, I can. And I am. Right. And then I would come back a little bit what more. What an impossible standard to set. It makes no sense. To really me. rough, too, as a young adult. Yeah. So uh, finally, I just took a stance and was like, I don't believe. And my life is pretty bad here in Philadelphia. I just graduated with honors, but I don't feel like this is the place I want to live. And everyone that I know is talking about the West Coast. I grew up there. It's time to go back. And then then everything is Seattle and Portland. Okay, so we're we're up to now we've met. Now I get And I flew over by the way. I flew over with a Marshall amp in a case, a guitar, and one gigantic backpacker backpack full of clothes when i met you no records no nothing when i'm when i first came to the first place you were living you were um living in a closet under the stairs yep that had just enough room for you to lay down yep. and it had a little shelf with some books and some things you probably could hang a couple some shirts in there because it probably had a place to hang stuff up yep. pants and um that was how you lived and i thought that's awesome i'm a little bit jealous it's so simple. I I like that this guy can do this. This guy's cool. Right. And that was, I mean, it was, we were very quickly talking about the Harkonnen 7 inch. Yeah. We were very quickly talking about the genuine thing. Yeah. Um, and you also got hair extensions. 
Yeah, I did. I did. I did that. Yeah, I I've got, I'm, it, it has well, to come up. And so, like, so there, here's a paragraph. <laughs> I have gone through every single possible hardcore punk trend there ever was. was name there, one. Name one. Was there a hair extension trend? There, there was in Philadelphia. Kids were like growing out their hair, right? And if they couldn't grow it out fast enough, they were getting extensions. So, but, but let me back up. But you had braided hair extensions. I can't recall. No, I can recall. Okay. Because here, this is, I, this is what I want to throw in because yeah. this is, I, I love this. Okay. Right, right. At the time you told me I'm going to get hair extensions and I thought you were fucking with me. Yeah. And I probably made a joke and yeah. you kind of, it was the first time I ever saw you and we were new friends, but it's the first time I ever saw you go, what's your deal? Like with a look on your face, like, like, no. Fuck you. Like, right. and, and, and I, I know that look now. I've well, seen you do it many times. Like, if you have an idea. Yeah. And it has an, I mean, that a hair extension to you <laughs> is artistic. So right. it's an it expression. Would be, it would be like me saying, don't put a lobster claw on that when you're drawing something. Right. Right. So, so I, I kind of was like, Oh, oh my God, he's serious. And you were like, it's going to look so killer in pictures. And there's some pictures of you playing in Harkonnen where you're like whipping your head back and the hair is like flying out, of but course. it's braids. And I remember thinking, he's right. That I can't believe he's walking around with that, but that picture looks killer. Well, and I, so, I, do you have the picture? Of course not. I, I, I had the picture. I don't. I know for a fact it doesn't exist in my possession. You may have destroyed it at some point. It's not so much I destroyed it as like the last two years, which we'll get to, have been like so hellish that I got rid of even less stuff and probably got rid of a whole lot of my past. Okay. And but, but that probably wouldn't have been like, cause you didn't, this is the thing is I know they cost money and you didn't keep them very long. Well, so there's, there's a couple parts of that. First, every time I made a decision in punk rock and hardcore, I backed it up fiercely, no matter what the fuck it was. Yeah. And I mean, being a, being a sharp skinhead, um, which we had an actual gang that would go around and beat up Nazis. We actually did that. That was a thing. And I had all the meetings in my garage, my parents' garage, which is fucking rad. Um, after the couple times I ran away and came back, whatever. Um, and, uh, I did the whole Letterman straight edge, you know, jacket, of course. And I had one for many years. I gave it to our friend Carrie Fiegel. Hope she still has it. Maroons that straight edge on the back. I moved with that jacket, like still wearing it. Hey man, it's a good look. Dude, it was. And. I can't pull it off. Tim from Mouthpiece still can. And I love it that he can yeah, still do it. Yeah, some dudes still can. Yeah, totally rad. Um, I did the big pants so big you you can't believe it. I did the... I couldn't um, do that one. I later... Uh, I did extensions. The first time they were blonde extensions. <clears throat> you Wait, did you in, say in first? You said first time. Yeah, oh, I actually did it twice. you did it before. So I did it in Philadelphia because um, this... I hope this comes across as funny and not like terrible it's gonna come across as funny okay so there was a woman in philadelphia who said she was beautiful and she said and this was on south street philadelphia there's all kinds of crazy fucking awesome shops there like you know one shop has animals in formaldehyde and they sell them and it's black market shit and it's you don't question it's fucking voodoo the next shop is you know the most killer cheesesteaks ever. The next next one next door is the most v- killer vegan cheesesteaks. Like just, well, next door to that was a punk rock hair salon. This woman was so beautiful and she somehow, I can't recall how we met, maybe when I was working at the tattoo shop, she said, 
I'm working on doing some new photos and whatever for my portfolio. Um, and I had just enough hair that you could put extensions in. And she did. And, uh, um, it was kind of an unsaid thing that at the end of the night we were going to be. Got it. Together. There was an implication. And it was an application. <laughs> implication to application. And I was stoked. Uh, granted, this was way after. Oh, all so you my... were worried that was going to come off bad? Yeah. And it, of course, didn't, right? It's life, dude. Come on. Um, but, but, um, this was a Do point... I think you'd do it today? No. Nah. No. But see, I, I, all my acne disappeared on my 19th birthday because I was allergic to dairy my whole life. Yeah. And, it, and my, my body was fighting it. So girls didn't care about me. I'm not saying they care all of a sudden, but, but basically I, my acne went away forever. I get like one blemish a year. No, you came, you came to Seattle and a number of women were interested in you. That's what you say. And I will say that. That's what uh, I saw. I have fallen in love and I have been graced and blessed for lack of a better word, with the presence of many beautiful women in my life. I will say that. Um, this woman was like outrageous, like supermodel. And I was like, this isn't going to happen. And it, it happened. Well, but then I had braids and I was playing in this band called Christ at the time. And half the people made total fun of me. You, you might have showed the me time, the picture of Christ. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and half I the, thought it was her. And half the people were stoked because, like, other kids were doing it too. Yeah. Like, and again, another fad that I got into. First, it was the uh, all of us growing our hair out and having a headband. Remember that? Mm-hmm. That was a thing. We all did that with backpacks. That was a fucking thing. Sure. Well, then you you wanted your hair to be even longer with that, so you put extensions. In. Yeah. Well, it, I don't know. I just admittedly grow my, I just fucking grow my hair. admittedly stupid, but all the trends had their stupidity, and all the trends. I mean, we were all growing up. That's what we did. Yeah, I don't care about hair extensions. I just think it's. I just think well, the braids were what was funny. The reason I did the hair extensions in Seattle was because I, I became like when I lived in Philadelphia, I was still like bright gray hoodies with straight edge slogans. I moved to Seattle and I met some dark people. I got more into metal. We're an overcast place, man. Well, and I, you know, who I moved in with was Andrew Gormley. Oh yeah. And Andrew Gormley was like, everything you listen to is fucking shit. <laughs> well, cause that's not, that's not true, but it, but he is, but brutally, it, I could see how he is brutal yeah, with his yeah. opinions. And he was like, you need to stop playing in bands with double kick. If they're going to play that sound, if they if you want that sound, they have to use one pedal, one drum, not even two drums. They have to be fucking good. And I was yeah. like, I respect you. And and I wasn't even a child then. This was I was just an adult, and I was like, I respect this guy. This fucking guy is amazing. I lived with him as well as uh, Damien yeah. uh, from Kiss Goodbye. I was so those guys still the best dudes. Absolutely, like no question. And um, I don't see either of them that often, but I love them both. Like they're great people. Um, they both like went different ways, and both directions have their like meaning and awesomeness to me as we grow up. But anyway, I lived with them and it was killer. Like I got into so much good music and I became dark. I wore all black and still to this day, like I wear all black. Okay. So, uh, actually you, I'm going to jump in here. Yeah. Also because we're going to, we're going to get a lot of stuff in, in the next like half hour yeah, or so yeah, yeah. before we gotta this push thing it. has we to, push before it. this thing has to stop up. So right around this time, a couple things happen. I asked you to be in my movie. Yeah. I was writing The Edge of Quarrel. I had a character named Rolo yep. who you, I, you know, you had all the tattoos, you had the look, 
I think you told me I can't act. I said, don't worry. I'll make sure you can that's do exactly, this. That's exactly what I said. And, and you did. Exactly what and happened. you did fine. I'm like, not sure about that. Well, no, you did something horrible that I'm about to bring up. And it goes along with what you're saying about this whole dark. And Are you sure you want to bring it up? You better believe it. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> for me, it's a hilarious story. If you're going to say guy liner, uh, I'll admit that happened. Remember no, I that? love that. No, no, no. Okay, no. That I would too. never. That's fine. I'm totally cool. Okay. Guy liner meaning guy eyeliner. Yes. No, okay. that's fine. I'm fine okay. with that. No. I went through that trend too. Okay. Yeah. just want to make sure that Whatever. everyone knows every fucking bad thing. I would I probably did. do that myself if I ever thought about it. Like, I think it's fine. Like, who cares? But, you know, let, there needs to be just a little bit more said about that. Okay. I went through a phase where I was on tour all the time, mm-hmm. whether I was in a band or working for a band. And at that time, guys were looking more pretty. Yeah. And because I was always, I'll, I'll, I mean, I'm admitting it. I was always trendy. I followed that. And you know what? While I was on tour, as far as women, girls were concerned, it worked. Look, and so, look, Soto, one of the most metal dudes, you know Soto, and he talks in his episode just a few episodes back about wearing eyeliner and wearing makeup and the girls responding to it in high school and junior high. That's, totally. that's fine. That's a dirty little secret, right? What is, yep, what was, but, what was the. No, no, no. But the, but the problem with that is, and <laughs> it makes me even worse, is that he did in high school. And then you did on, it when you were 30, but I did whatever. it as an adult, as a fucking stupid adult, not 30. <laughs> we're talking 25, but still. Okay. Okay. So but you, here's what you, I want to say. You want to talk start, about the film. You, I asked you to be Rolo in the edge of quarrel. You're the, you're like the crazy guy, the crazy straight edge guy, the enforcer for John Pettibone's gang. Um, and you agree, but it takes me forever to make the edge of quarrel because we were doing it on weekends and days off, whenever I could get people together. And you, after, I believe after you had already agreed and after it gets going, Himsa starts up and you're playing in Himsa. Himsa is awesome and I'm excited about it and everything's cool. And then you show up one day and you have a fucking beard. Yeah. And I have already filmed scenes. In fact, we already did the, the, the majority of the filming, which is, the all the way up through the rumble with a um, goatee with just what you looked like you just whatever you looked like right and then but I, there's all this in between stuff that i have to film still and so i i'm like well dude I, I i just need to film this last stuff we can really schedule it but i need you to shave and you're like no i'm never shaving <laughs> i don't remember that oh i do believe that me that's great aaron you're not gonna remember see we're far, we're far enough away that we can laugh. And we've yeah, always yeah. remained friends. We remained yeah. friends through this, but I was very angry at you. So you said... Did I shave finally? Well, listen, because yeah. here's why, this, here's why I, the story still it makes me laugh. But also, if I thought about it, I could get mad. Okay. So you said, you said, dude, it's not going to matter. No one's going to care. I said, no, no. There are scenes that we still have to film that happen minutes between other scenes. Like you can't, you can't look different. And you said, just put bandages on my face. Whoa. And I said, now, now you're saying that now having lived 15 years since Edge of Coral came out and had to suffer through having been in that movie, but you've seen it and you realize that I actually completed a movie. Of course. At the time we were fucking around with the camera. You didn't know. So your whole thing was when I said it won't look right. You can't just suddenly go from one scene to another and suddenly have bandages. And you were like, no one's going to care. And I remember being like, he's not. Oh, and I really, I go, he doesn't take, he doesn't think this will be real. Right. Right. Um, there's a lot of noise outside, but I'm going to continue with the story because I'm not going to tell it again. So I got really upset 
And I said, dude, if you can't shave this beard, your character has to come out of the film. And you're like, I'm not shaving the beard, dude. We all promised we're, we're a bearded band. Himsay is a band with beards. Uh, so I, oh, man. I rewrote The Edge of Quarrel to take your character. It removed about 90% of Rolo so I could reshoot the film. The, I could reshoot the minimal amount of shots that you had already been in. You'd still be in the rumble, but you would not. Everything that was the beard was going to screw up had changed, which had to diminish your role massively. And once I finished it and had a new script, I was just getting ready to restart filming, and you showed up clean shaven. Oh man! So I wrote Edge of Quarrel twice. Oh, once man. because you made me. So are you saying now that you want to do all the bearded movie version of it? <laughs> no, okay. there's a, there's a, there's about sixty pages of a sequel with your character in it, though. Wow. Um, it's wow. very important. It's is a, it, me, it mean a wheelchair? It starts like? on the day you get out of prison. Oh, I, I remember this talk. Yeah, no, it's 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 actually yeah. it, some of it's and really good. You talked me into it because a couple other people are willing to do it. So, oh, I'm not okay. going to make the movie. Come on, I was just going to yeah, write okay. it. All right, <laughs> but All no. Right. So here's the thing. I'm so, so I want to say you're I you're wanna say that I'm very sorry. I pre- but I think it's so funny now. It's hilarious now, but I'm sorry because I know I know how you and I are when we want to do a project we want to do right and it's going to fucking happen. Well, and of happen. course you're that guy and of course I'm that guy. Right. Like, so, dude, I we, don't... We're both so, so stick to it. But when people, when I tell people the movie took two years to make, that's part of the reason it took two years to make. That sucks. <laughs> so, that but, sucks. It, but dude, it only did so much damage. You know how ridiculous Himsa was? <laughs> we, we not only vowed to have beards, we vowed to all go out and buy the same... Shoes. No shit. I, I shit you not. We all went to pay <laughs> oh less my God, and awesome. we all bought vegan boots, boot shoes. There is a promo photo somewhere and it, you know, the old eight by tens or whatever that mm-hmm. you would make and pass out. Like when I worked at the rocket and you just have to scan them in. There is, uh, there are shots of us that we took that Robin Leanninen, I think is her name in Seattle. She that's, shot. I, is that how you pronounce it? Robin L? Yes. Robin Leannon. I'm pretty sure it's Leannon because we worked at the Rocket. Sure. She took our promo photos and we all had those boots and black jackets and, and uh, at some point beards. God, that's crazy. I'm going to find out if she still has the photos. She might. She might be willing to send one up for the uh, for the page. That would, that be, would awesome. be awesome. And that, that I'd like to see the beard because that caused me, I mean, my God, you caused me so much work. As I recall, there's <laughs> photos with... With motor and D without beards, and then there's photos with all of us with beards. And then you guys, and thank you for abandoning it because it allowed me to actually have your character in the story the way I wanted. And thank you for being Rolo and having to put up with the shit for being in that movie for all these years. Of course. Um, and you're the you're the 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 image of the movie that I've used to promote it, which well, is as ridiculous kind of as it is. I'm really glad that it happened because. It's, it means we stayed friends and hung out and, you know, whenever we saw each other, we were happy to see each other because the movie sort of, you know, it was a bond beef between people. It was fun. You know? I, I mean, later in life, when I would see, um, the Mercy Devils guys, they would remember me because we did a movie together. Otherwise, you know, we just, we didn't hang out that much and they, they would, I would just be a fan. I feel bad sometimes that all of you are now shackled to this thing that, <laughs> That you've had, I mean, you know, people talk about like, oh, this person recognized me here and people oh. get recognized in other countries and stuff. And everyone, I love that everyone seems to have a pretty good, like, they seem to have fun with the idea that they're in this, it's not a B movie. Let me tell it's you. It's like a, a, a G movie. I don't know if I've told you this story. I'll tell you the short version um, about the film. 
So I went, was on tour after the film came out, maybe a year or two. And it was starting to be passed around. It was this cult thing that you'd put, you'd go on tour and people would throw on the movie while there were only VHS out. copies that I made. They had to buy them through excursion. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Mail order. And, uh, I was on tour with somebody and I was, went outside and there's this big group of, uh, of, uh, kids, like, you know, 20 year old dudes. And they're all looking very, uh, sinister and they're all together and they're blocking the outdoor way to get out. This was in, um, this is at the, uh, Kilby Court in Salt Lake City. And so there were these kids out there and they were blocking the way to get from the patio. Like you walk out and there's another exit to get out to the street. They're blocking it. And I started walking towards them and they kind of hunched up closer and tighter as a unit. And I was like, all right, fucking have to cut my way out. And I had my box cutter in my hand as we all did. And I, and I was ready to actually literally fight these guys. And, um, there are certain things that I do in a fight in order to end the fight quickly. And I won't tell because it's a top secret. That's fine. But I have, I have two moves and I was prepared to do them to the biggest guy. Cause that, that always, if, w- when those moves happen correctly, uh-huh. not incorrectly, but correctly, uh, half the other guys are done already. They're like, well, fuck it. Never mm-hmm. mind. I got close to these guys. They got tighter and I was like, fuck. Like I'm, an adult. I don't, I moved away from Philadelphia. I don't want to fight anymore. Got closer and closer until I was like just about ready to swing. And one of the guys goes, Hey, I was like, yes. Were you, were you Rolo from the movie? And I was like, fuck, this is even worse. I was like, yes. And they all like dropped kind of like hands to knees in like joy. Like, oh, they all released their tension and they were like, yes, we fucking love that movie. It's so good. Dude, they all gave me high fives. They crowded around. There was hugs, signing shit. It fucking. And that, at that moment, uh, hundreds of miles from you, I hated you because <laughs> in the best way possible. That's for the beard, man. <laughs> for the beard. Oh, uh, God, that's so awesome. There right. was also, of course, the kid that came up and um, uh, wanted to make out with me, boy, because he loved the movie. He wanted me to sign it. It was He called it his Bible. No, 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 no. Don't don't say stuff like that. Matt Matsuoka thinks that the, the movie is a secret gay initiation film or, or well, he then, thinks the whole thing is a, is, is a gay conspiracy. Then he might be right. But no, this, don't say that. But this kid was, and the girls in um, To See You Broken can tell you that some of the stories about this kid that came up to the merch table, I was doing merch for them, traveling with them. And this came up, kid came up and said that it was his Bible and it was so... Oh, that's sad. But, but you know what? We were children... We made this movie and a lot of children watched it. But we weren't children. We weren't children. That's the <laughs> fucking... No, you know what? I'm sorry. With the life that we were involved in, we might as well have been. Yeah. I'm sorry. My 20s no, good were point. like other people's teenage years. Yeah, good point. So that's just... But but then a kid got a tattoo of the phone being ripped from the payphone. Yeah. And I was actually fucking rad. Because <laughs> then it's fun. And that was a great tattoo. And the kid was stoked. It wasn't like... Super fan. He was just. I have a picture of that somewhere. I'll yeah. see if I can find it. You were the one who, who, who keyed me into it. Um, he got. He also got tattoos from Matt Matsuoka's films. He was oh. so stoked on that whole oh, that thing rules. that we did. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, yeah. So that happened. Very very cool. Um, and I, I honestly look back on it fondly now, uh, particularly because when the DVD came out, it came out in Spain first, right? It, I yeah. And it was dubbed. Mm-hmm. And instead of my voice sounding like now, it was like, 
On the parent site for this podcast, on nobody'snose.com, there's a blog page that links to the entire Spanish version of the film on YouTube. People can go watch what you're talking about right now for so, free. So I don't want them to watch it, but I also want it's a, them... It's amazing. Okay, but I want them to watch it because I had a new love for the film <laughs> because all those voiceovers were much more interesting than our own voices because it was different. And it wasn't a sane, stupid shit. No, no, you know, fault to you. No. No. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I get it. No, it, the movies. Look, I was making when Greg Bennett and I did the um, DVD commentary, which is kind of like the first podcast thing. I mean, it was me with Mike true, and Greg. True. Um, it made sense that when I did my first podcast, Greg would be the first one because we'd sat down and done that kind of thing before. Right. Um, you know, we had so much fun. and I, I made a lot of fun of it because you should. You should. Yeah. There are parts of Edge of Coral where I go, yep, just what I wanted. There's only a couple. Yeah. The rest of it's pretty yeah. just, we did what we could do. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Um, But thank you because you're a big part of that. And you're, like I said, of everybody, you're the guy who's got to be the, you've got to bear the brunt because you've got the cover. That's a good point. <laughs> which we'll shoot again today, which will be interesting. <laughs> We're, we are going to shoot a special cover for a limited edition uh, thing to help Aaron out with this injury that he has that he's suffering with. Um, and, and I thank you. And there's going to be information about that on the site. I don't think it's going to last very long. We're making 43 copies of this limited edition DVD. It'll be in the store. You'll be able to check it out. Awesome. If 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 this thing's been out for a few weeks, I'm sure they're gone. Um, awesome. So, uh, okay, so let's get past. We're past Edge of Coral. Yep. Um, and there's been so much that's gone on in that time. You have been married. You ha- You moved to, like you mentioned earlier, you moved to uh, L.A. to work for Southern Lord. As I did. And it was a fantastic job. Great opportunity. But um, my wife and I just didn't like L.A. life. It was either you were had to be really rich to enjoy it yeah. or you were you not. I mean, there was no middle class. And it was very difficult to to live with roaches around you and prostitutes as nice as they were, uh, you know, every morning greeting me, uh, yeah. outside my door. And I just didn't like LA. I love the job. Like I said, I love the bands. I love everybody got to work. Well, with. sure. And you're, and you're, you're with Greg and that connects back to the earliest of the Northwest totally. with brotherhood. Um, so it's, it's an interesting way that you came in much later, but still kind of connected on the indeed, back end there. Indeed. And he, he remembered me from being, um, a guy that wasn't in any of the bands, you know, he was in more interesting bands than I was. And, and then when I moved there, he basically wasn't even there. So, nah. you know, he had been in, he's been in LA for 20 years or something. But, um, I, he remembers, and it was fun because he remembers every single band that I was in. I sent him a CD, every single one with promo pics dialed in, <laughs> a bio, yeah. just as you should if you want, uh, the right attention. And I was like, "What? you didn't even listen to those. He's like, I listened to every single one. I was like, no, you didn't. He's like, I'll show you. We went to the back room, and he found the Grievous CD. Nice. One, one of the most recent, you know, not too too old. He was like, here it is. I was like, fuck. He does save everything. And he does listen to everything. And then when I work there, he puts stuff on at work, and he listens to it. He gives it, I won't say how many seconds. Yeah. But he'll listen to it, and he'll decide right away. Do I want to keep going or not? Uh, That's impressive because sometimes you don't even want to put this stuff in. Yeah. You can look at the outside and go, N- if this was good, it wouldn't look like this. No, he's solid that way. Yeah. But but it was fantastic to work there. Um, I mean, to say that I worked on the Sleep reissue and High and Fire records and every week I was 
churning out a new design for an amazing band. And it was, that was the good part. But looking back now, at the end of living there, I started to have my MS symptoms. I just didn't know that, that what they were at the time. Right. So then we, we uh, Rachel and I moved to Portland, and uh, that's when all hell broke loose with my health. And um, we were we were here in Portland for only about a year. We moved back to Seattle to try and like grab our roots. Her family's there. I clearly have a lot of friends there, and um, we just couldn't. We couldn't find a way for me to um, get a handle on my disease, and she didn't know how to help me with it. Uh, she wanted to cure it. I knew there wasn't a cure, and we just we just couldn't make it through it. So now I'm back in I'm back in Portland alone, and yeah, basically a lot has happened. Yeah, a lot has happened, and a lot of bands since then that I've been in. Um, What's well, you? Can you play? So. I can play guitar and bass, mostly just guitar for short periods of time. Not very well because my hands, all the, most of the pain I have from MS is in my hands. And, uh, I can play for about five minutes and, and not well. I don't have the same strength, particularly for bass. It's almost like it's harder. Yeah. Um, but I've lost any kind of articulation. Um, I have I play much simply simpler now and for short periods of time. So when I make records now, they take a month to make and it's all me sitting down at the computer and recording when I can in bits and pieces. But you have something coming out. So I have a couple things coming out. Um the first one that did come out was the Lumbar record. Right. I took drums from the I'm the Thorn record that I played drums on. Uh I'm the Thorn was just Pettybone and I at first. The whole mm-hmm. record in fact recorded was just him and I and then we formed a band later. I took those drums, I cut them up into pieces, uh, rearranged them, not even knowing what riffs would go on top of them. Then Do you remember like, I Am in the I Am the Thorn video? I remember. You yes, mean you come down I, and wear a suit? Yeah, you should have people, you should have a link to that. I, I already have the link. Cause that was a fun video to make. <laughs> um, I look like an idiot, but that's all right. We all kind of did. It was. But but that was like a very serious video for us, you know. Oh yeah, it's dark. Like it, it is dark, and there's some really fucked up shit that's like implied. Um, it was a good time, man. That that band, um, I felt really good about that band. But it just you know, like a lot of bands, they just don't work out. But but I remember I was supposed to be suit and tie guy. I think that, that's that, what you told oh, yeah. me. You said you, come you down were, and be suit and tie guy. So I just put together the closest approximation yeah, to it that I. You could. were in the script. We couldn't think of any other guy who looked a little bit more like a dad than the rest of us. <laughs> well, and this was pre. I, I I don't have. I've got short hair and I'm yeah. clean shaven. So yeah, yeah. That's when you were um, still. No, what were you doing then? Oh, I could have. Were been, you driving? I might have already been dealing cards. You were hustling either way. Something, something. Yeah, but you were the guy. You were the guy for that, and it worked out perfectly. Thank you. As as well as Ian was the guy, the creepy blue guy. Yes. He worked out perfect, too. <laughs> love that guy. Still love that guy. Um, well, people will be able to check out this video on your blog page. Yes, people they will. got to go to nobody'snose.com and look at... And for any of the episodes that you listen to, there's good stuff on the blog pages. And links. That's good. Um, so so I'm the Thorn Drums. Um, the Lumbar record, we, I, didn't, it, I didn't know what I was going to do with it. And I gave it to Mike Scheidt from Yob and, um, and to Tad and said, would you guys like to sing on this? And they were like, fuck yeah. Mm. They sang on it. Um, and, and I, I wrote the record as I was like really sick. I wrote three and recorded three records. 
one of them, uh, a vocalist is finishing now. Um, so that's one you can't talk about. That's one I can't talk about until it's done. Oh wow. Um, another one was the Lumbar record, which came out on Southern Lord, which was awesome and explained like the whole MS, what was going on with me. And it was one of the last records I could, was able to record, uh, well before the disease, like pretty, pretty much ended that. And, um, though, though people weren't as stoked on it as we were, um, it was a really, really important record for me in my life because it was such a story. Like I wrote all the lyrics. Mike sure. said, Mike said, write all the lyrics. I'll sing. I've them. heard good things about it. Well, I, I think people who like odd records like that liked it. You know, it's kind of like old man gloom and that some of the songs are only one riff in the song. And then there's some spacey stuff and some weird stuff in between songs. And so the people who dig that liked it. But I think what people didn't like about it is it wasn't Yob. Mm. And it wasn't really like intricate guitar playing because people didn't know that I wasn't able to play well right? because of MS until they read the whole story. That's why I did like a lot of interviews, which is nice to get it out. And then people were like, ah, okay, okay. Like, I like what Mike did here. I like what Tad did here. I like the riffs. Um, the other record I did, um, actually, I took drums from my friend Brock, who played in TikTok Man and uh, Cascabel, great hardcore band in Seattle. He, but TikTok Man was more a little more rock and a little bit more tool at times. And I wasn't really into that band, but Brock gave me all the drums from that record and they were fantastic. His, his playing was so good. It made me, I really had to get creative with my parts. We sent it to Tim Singer. Turns out Tim Singer liked it. My mind was blown. We aren't, you know, we weren't like super good friends. We just knew each other and would say hi when we saw each other. Um, and I spoke to him at RevFest and said, what are you doing for music stuff? And he was like, nothing. I was like, I'm going to send you some stuff. What's it called? So that is called Process Black. And you can find it on the... the is it three songs that you have up online? It's three songs that are up online. And there's eight more that he's, he's going to finish. And it's, it's great. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's a cool record and it, it is more structured verse, chorus, verse, chorus, interesting parts. Um, and it crosses all kinds of genres. I mean, I think some people are, you know, saying that it's, it's only dead guy and kiss goodbye and no escape. Well, it feels in vocals hearing it. It felt to me the way I felt like when I heard fixation on a coworker, uh-huh. which is a record that I hold in such a high regard. Oh, it doesn't yeah. mean it sounds like that record, but I got the same feeling. I was like, Oh, here there's a, here we go yeah. feeling you get when you hear certain music. And when you sent me the links to that, I got that here we go feeling like cool. immediately. So cool. I'm, I'm excited for all, for the rest of that to get finished. It's one of my favorite records I've ever done. Like, but it also, it, it's because Brock's drumming is incredible. It was so fun to cut and paste all his drums up. And, and try and write over his shit was really cool. And to hear Tim, one of my favorite people, both an influence in his design since I was, you know, back in the early 90s. Um, and seeing, I saw No Escape in the, in the early 90s and I was like, fuck, this guy is like, he's on a different level. Um, and I was always happy to hear his stuff. The fact that he liked the record blew me away. It's taken a year and a half for him to get his stuff done because he's a family man. Like no pun. Sure. Family man was the, another 
or family man was the band he was in, but he's also been re like totally redoing a house, which is incredible. Long story short, he's making time for it. It's going to come out and we have a label. We just can't talk about it yet. Okay. Yeah. But, but that's a cool, that's a cool project. And then since, since living in Portland the last um, eight months, I've done a couple other projects that have been much more difficult for me to complete, of course. And, and they're simple, but some heavy stuff. So some other projects will come out too. So if I told you we have to shut this thing down, uh-huh. um, what stuff do you want people to know? What's your, what's your kind of like, if you got anything to plug, you got anything that you just feel like you want to get off your chest or say anything? I do. Get, I do. Take some time with it. So um, the last two years have been the worst two years of my life. You know, the diagnosis with MS was miserable. Uh, my wife and I couldn't get through it. We still love each other dearly, but we just couldn't make it work. It was a the diagnosis and the, and the, all the pain tore us apart. And then riding bikes, what I, which I love to do, and I crashed and I broke my back, um, is a bummer. But I, but I, as we were talking before we started this thing, that sometimes bad things come in threes, and there's sort of a um, uh, people are a little get a little mystical about that. And if that's the case, uh, I'm so excited for my bad luck to be over. That's three. That's three. So I, I've been saying lately that I'm, you know, since I'm not paralyzed from the accident and though I might need surgery at this point, I'm, I'm in a, you know, wheelchair for a couple months, maybe three, maybe more, depending on what happens. But, um, I have the worst luck, but I really do have the best friends. People have been so supportive. People have set up a GoFundMe account, which uh, there may or may not be a link when this comes up. It may be over. Um, people have brought food to me every day, helped me shower because I, I can't actually get into but the shower But I think that's myself. important. I mean, you, you can, I've watched you get up out of that chair just to get into the bathroom. You are not mobile. You're not going to work. Right. You're not, I mean, so I know some people have sent some money into the GoFundMe account right. and it's going to be very helpful well, when that comes through. And I'm assuming that regardless of insurance being airlifted. I was just going to say airlifted <laughs> is between 2000 and two hundred thousand dollars. It depends how far you go. It depends if the medics inside the helicopter help you get in or out or do anything outside the helicopter. It, of course, uh, it, depending on how many drugs you get. While do you, you have a bill from it? Not yet. And it, will it go through insurance? It will go through insurance. I work at a bike shop. I'm a manager, uh, one of a couple managers at a bike shop, and my insurance is good. But uh, because it was out of state. Mm-hmm. The insurance may not cover as much. Yeah. Not sure yet. So, um, as of like today, I think the last time I looked, there was five grand that people have already donated in five days. It's huge. It's fucking awesome. So I want to thank everybody that's involved with that. Um, I want to thank my parents for helping out. I want to thank, uh, Rachel, my ex-wife, because she's such a good person. And, uh, you know, she's still such a big part of, she still takes a big part of, of a space in my heart, you know. Um, I like to thank you because this was totally fucking fun. Like I needed to have some fun while I'm in a wheelchair. We've talked you know? about this over the last few months, and you have kind of repeatedly said, "I'm not fun." Right. There won't be fun. Well, and I, I think I told you, you don't know. And also. I am in a different headspace now. Like I'm a lot more positive than I was in the last two years. Like I had sure. some really 
really rough parts. And look, uh, I could have showed up here, and you could have been completely blah and unable, unwilling to engage. But that's not right. the you I've ever known. And that's true. Like once I got going, I was like having a really good time, and you know, I thought seeing you again would be miserable. But it, as it turns out, <laughs> like it's super fun. Yeah, you just wanted to clap, but you didn't because you didn't <laughs> because want I to don't make want it to, Yeah, I didn't want it to be um, loud, but um. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's that's what I like, sir. Yeah, and it was nice to bring up all these memories. Clearly, there were some things I did not remember until today. Celeste on the the front lawn with the wet grass, like thank you, Celeste. I guess uh, things like that. Remembering very strange things. Um, my first show, DRI, it made me think of it, even though we didn't discuss it just now. I was like, that no, was my it's first really show. kind of important that you just said that because DRI keeps coming. So, I mean, by the time the awesome. episode episode, he was like, like you said earlier, DRI, it every, keeps, it's DRI is incredibly important to people. What, what so. a crazy band. I saw them at the Atlantic Beach Club. And that's your Virginia first Beach. live show. We that somehow was, skipped over it. Yep. That was my first show. Yeah. <laughs> that was a punk show or hardcore show or with them crossover show. Crossover. Definitely. You know? But it was not like you did. It's not like your parents could see Huey Lewis in the news when you're 10. Well, that was the Beach Boys. Sure. Yep. It was some version of <laughs> the but, Beach Boys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A show where you make the decision and there might be moshing. But basically I um I'm excited for the records that I'm working on to come out. Um I until the the vocalists actually finish them and they get, you know, sent to labels, I don't want to say too much about them. But sure. I have a bunch of exciting stuff coming out that took me a long time because of my physical pain to finish, so it's nice to see them come out. And uh, so I hope people are, are a little stoked about that. And you can uh, still, I mean, you still churning out the artwork. I'm still designing. Yep. Yeah. yeah I mean, you've the, got the recent, the last record I designed. I mean, you're still was, riding bikes. You're still active in the things that you enjoy. Yes. You won't be riding bikes until this little back uh, I, I kerfuffle. Won't be. I won't be. Uh, <laughs> or running either. Both things that I love to do, but, and working. Like I love my job. I love selling bikes to people. Right. That makes me happy. And to not be there is, is a bum out, but. Um, but so this, none of this is over. None of this is over. And, uh, I just keep telling myself I have good people around me and I'm not paralyzed. Yeah. So fuck it. And I'm still straight edge. Very important. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you for this. Thank you. For I this. really appreciate it. I hope everyone's been able to suffer through this, uh, this, this different room tone. Some of this, uh, there's a lot more noise in this than normal, but I'm going to clean it up as much as I can and you're going to get it the way it sounds because this is a good one and I want it to go up regardless. Awesome. Brother man, I love it. Thank you. I love it too. Well, there's episode 14 in the can finished. I'm going to be honest. I didn't want to do this episode. I didn't want to interview Aaron yet. Um, and actually I didn't care if I interviewed Aaron yet. I just didn't want to have to do an episode that was necessary because my friend broke his back. So obviously I'll sit with Aaron anytime. Like Aaron's awesome, but I did not like the circumstances that precipitated this and made it necessary for me to pack up my stuff and go down there instead of having him come up to me. So, um, you heard the whole story. You heard what's up. Unfortunately, you heard some interesting sound stuff throughout that episode. Let me just say this episode more than others is going to sound like there's a lot of edits and it's not that there's any more edits than any other episode. Um, if you heard weird clicks or things that sounded strange, just in between sentences, even with Aaron being on the medication, there's a lot of swallowing, a lot of pauses, 
um, a lot of things that needed to be cut out. And with that background noise being as strange as it was, and with a lot of variable sounds just coming in through the window into his apartment, you could hear those edits a lot better. Those edits are always there. I do take out a lot of pauses and a lot of things in these episodes. Um, I think it just makes them sound a little bit better, a little more succinct. They're long enough as they are. So, moving on to corrections. There were a couple things I wanted to point out in this episode. They're not a big deal, but um, Aaron uh, says he thinks Princess Di died on September 1st, 1997. It was actually August 31st. He was only off by one day, and he was just pulling that off the top of his head. So, um, I certainly didn't remember. I had to look it up. So, that's impressive. Um, And you know what? She's in Europe, so I really don't even know how that timeline thing goes. Would we have thought it was... Would we have gotten the news on it? I'd have to figure out, like, the way the Earth rotates and the times and stuff and I don't know so I think he's basically right but just because I'm a stickler when I can be Princess Di died on August 31st 1997 shortly before I met Aaron also while we were talking he talks about the Halloween show from 1997 he also says and I think it's just the medication I think it's just the conversation he also said the Halloween show was September 1st and that's getting mixed up with the Princess Di thing, because obviously the Halloween show was October 31st. It was a Halloween show. Um, And I do remember that one was on Halloween. So that's that. That's the only two corrections I can think of. There may have been some other stuff that was wrong. Um, I looked around for some photos of Himsa, some of the early promo photos. I found one. It's pretty small. I'm throwing it up on the page. I found some really funny photos of Aaron. Um, Definitely some cool stuff. So I threw that up. Go take a look at it. It's on the blog page for this episode at nobody'snose.com. In fact, every blog page for every episode has got all kinds of information and photos, and I'm continually adding stuff as I'm finding stuff, and I'm finding a lot of stuff. So even with the episode you've already listened to, go check back, see what's there. Um, I have a Facebook page now for Nobody's Nose, so go like that. It is facebook.com slash nosynobody. Or just search, you know, Nobody's Knows on uh, on Facebook. You'll find it. Give us a like. Uh, I put all the episodes up on there. I'll be putting more stuff from Nobody's Knows up on there. I've been linking some old video that I've been putting up on YouTube um, to the Facebook page, and that's the only place I'm sharing it currently. Um, there's photos there that are not going on the blog pages that are specific to that site. So you can just see some stuff on the Facebook page just to make it its own special stop just to give people a reason to go there and to give us that like. Um, also, we're on Twitter at Nosy Nobody, so follow us on there. We'll follow you back. Uh, if you have any questions, you can email us at nobody'snosedl at gmail.com. DL, Doug Lawless, he'll be answering your message if you get in touch. Um, check out our store. We put up a, a store, and we've got some stuff that relates to the episodes to the people that we've had on um for the Aaron episode i'm going to be putting up the genuine lp and the harkonnen seven inch both things that Aaron was involved in that i put out on excursion and i have a few copies left in storage i'll put them up in the store if you're interested they're going to be cheap and uh get in touch if you have any questions or any other anything at all doug lawless would be happy to get back in touch with you all right until next time thanks This podcast is a product of the Nobody's Knows Podcast Network. Executive Producers, David R. Larson and K. Drake Streetman. Music for this episode provided by Polymorph.
from the record artifacts, demos, and debris.